It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Mike Elgin is here. Uh, Seth Rosenblatt. Alex Wilhelm joining us. And we've got the experts. We're going to talk about the Twitter hack, who did it, how they did it, and why it's a big deal, whether the U.S. should shut down TikTok, and why is that Amazon dash cart so very small? It's not for Americans, that's for sure. It's all next on Twit. This Week in Tech comes to you from Twit's LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes security simple for your remote workforce. Check out lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 780, recorded Sunday, July 19th, 2020. The Great Firewall of America. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Salesforce Service Cloud. Salesforce Service Cloud is the world's number one customer service platform that empowers organizations to deliver service from anywhere, from home, in the office, or in the field. Go to bit.ly slash salesforce for service to find out more. And by Zendesk. Zendesk is a service-first CRM company that builds software designed to improve customer relationships. Right now, Zendesk is offering a complimentary six-month remote support bundle that comes with the essential tools your team needs to stay agile. And it takes hours, not weeks, to get up and running. Go to zendesk.com slash twit to get started. And by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. For three extra months free with a one-year package, go to expressvpn.com slash twit. And by LastPass. Give your IT department a break and supply them with the tools that really protect your business. Visit lastpass.com slash twit to find out how they can help you. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the tech news roundtable, where we discuss the week's tech news with a rotating group of very smart technology journalists. And I love the panel today. Mike Elgin, my old friend, is here from Elgin.com. He used to be, to he you, used to be a gastronomad. Now he's grounded. Now I'm just a gastro. Just a gastro. Gastro something. <laughs> gastropod. Just staying place eating He's everything. a gastropod. Uh, of course, uh, you will be getting back on the road, I'm sure, as soon as it's safe uh, to do oh, so. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, uh, you're not allowed to go any of these places anymore. But uh, France won't let me come anymore, no. Leo. Isn't that it's, rotten? It's tragic. Gosh. Yeah. Just last night, Lisa said, when this is over, first place we're going, France. So Yes. That's it. It's done. Done deal. Also with us from the Parallax, T-H-E dash Parallax. Com. Seth Rosenblatt, he's editor in chief there, everyone. security guru. Hello, Seth. You're looking, uh, you're looking very uh, Wolverine today. I like the, uh, I like the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the mutton shops. Excellent look. I did a, I did a COVID beard for three months, and uh, I got sick of being woken up in the middle of the night by my mustache hairs tickling my nose. Yeah. It, it was quite rude. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the day before I uh, proposed to uh, my now fiance, I 
uh, chop this stuff down. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you. Thank that's you. She awesome. said yes, by the way. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. Uh, when are uh, the nuptials? Have you set a date? We're we're aiming for August. We're just, you know, who knows how long shutdown in California is going to be. So we're just going to kind of crank this thing out and well, we'll I figure think out a if you could be quarantined with somebody for the last four months oh, God, and still yeah. like them, that's that's oh, a yeah. very good test. Yeah, of her patience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll grant you that. Here's... But, but uh, yeah, no, she she moved in for the right reasons just before nice. the shutdown Perfect. on uh, February. 1st, oh, it wasn't and... even like forced. That's awesome. No, no. Yeah. I mean, not. I, I didn't feel forced, but uh, <laughs> and, and uh, it's been great. And we actually, it's worse than just living. It's worse than just sharing a bedroom together. Our office is shared. Yeah. Uh, so I have a desk on one side, and she has a desk on the other. And except for, you know, when I'm showering or running the dog, we're pretty much around each other uh, 22 yeah. hours a day. Yeah, this is a stress test for any relationship. Yeah, but yeah. it's been great. It's been I really good. I feel very fortunate. Very lucky. That I actually like my wife. But yeah, right. I feel for people who don't. That's, it's mm, yeah. going to be tough. No, I've, I've heard of a lot of relationships that, yeah. have, uh, that have come to an end because and of so the, of the You're thinking of having a, a socially distanced wedding then, if you're thinking of August. It would be small. It would be a very yeah. small group. Legally, right now in San Francisco, you're allowed, I think, a religious ceremony of 13 people total. Wow. Um, wow. So, yeah, so it would be uh, very small. But that's okay. We'd rather get this done. It's a and good then, excuse, uh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. an excuse yeah. to have a small wedding as far as right? I'm concerned. Hey, who is here but Alex Wilhelm recently married? Still married, right, yes, Alex? Lies hasn't yeah, thrown you out. No, she hasn't. We just hit the one-year mark. But Congratulations. Uh, speaking of, uh, thank you. But speaking of changes, I used to live half time on the West Coast. So for the first six months of our marriage, I was only here half the time. And then I moved here full time, and I was still going to travel a bunch. And then COVID happened. Ooh. So we've also been learning how to be around each other all the time. And it took, I mean, like everything does, some adjustments. But um, like Seth said, so far we're really happy with it. Um, I'm also very lucky with uh, who I'm with because she's tremendous. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, and she also uh, is a uh, psychiatrist, so very handy. <laughs> it's a little intimidating sometimes because <laughs> you, you don't want to complain too much about the wrong things. I'm going crazy things. here. What's going on up there? Exactly. <laughs> we can always 5150 you, Alex. It's always a possibility. <laughs> I know what that means because of the song that a band wrote, but I had to Google what that means. But I know that joke. Um, so you all are Twitter lovers. Alex actually has a very dangerous handle. It's only four letters long. Yes, sir. I am very grateful that I didn't go for at Leo back in 2006 when I signed up for Twitter. I decided it'd be better to have my full name. You are at risk. And in fact, it looks like this Twitter hack that happened on Wednesday uh, is involved with or was started by a group of hackers who are seeking the OG Twitter handles, the at six which was Adrian Lamo's old handler, at Y. Those are the ones that are at God, at fear. Those are the ones that are drawing big bucks. And some of these hackers are very good at using uh, SIM swapping or other techniques to, uh, to get uh, these handles. And it's those guys who uh, have been reporting. They actually uh, talked to the New York Times Lucky 225 has a medium 
post about the Twitter hack. Lucky225 actually owned Adrian Lamo's at six account after Adrian passed away. And he was, he noticed it had been hacked because the bad guys, which in this case, they would change everything, including verification phone numbers, email addresses, so you might never know except that your password stopped working. But they forgot to change the Google Voice number. He sent out a tweet. This was early uh, Wednesday um, saying there is something going on and it's much more than just guessing a password or a SIM hijacking. They somehow have really gotten into Twitter. And I kind of suspected that immediately, too, because when you see Barack Obama's account hacked, Joe Biden's account hacked, you know that at least those two are certainly using strong two-factor authentication. Uh, Obama is the number one most followed person on Twitter, so Twitter likely has additional security on his account as they do on President Trump's. Note that President Trump did not get hacked, but Mm. Twitter immediately... uh, kind of <laughs> went crazy. So the, the hacks that we all saw, the tw- and I'll just recap for those of you who uh, stayed away from the news this week for, uh, for good reason. The hack uh, essentially took was an account takeover, and it would be uh, uh, displayed by a tweet that says, hey, something along the lines of, hey, I want to uh, give back to my community. So for the next... Uh, 24 hours, I'm going to double any Bitcoin sent to this address. And uh, sure, I believe it. They must have meant that. And uh, so the idea was people would send Bitcoin. And guess what? It would not get doubled. In shockingly. Return, shockingly. Um, as soon as we saw this, and we were on, we were doing this week in Google uh, when it happened, uh, it was immediately obvious somebody had gotten deep into the uh, Twitter Credentials. Either it was at a rogue Twitter employee, which has happened before, a contractor leaving Twitter in 2017 dis- disabled the president's account. Uh, so we know that's possible. Uh, it seems to be that, uh, according to the New York Times, this is actually really shocking. Twitter had, and Seth, I'll, I'll defer to you on this because you're the security guru, and I'm sure you've been no- doing nothing over the last three days but writing about this. Uh, <laughs> Twitter had apparently put the credentials for its god mode dashboard in their slack channel and pinned it boo yep <laughs> boo hiss so at, at the parallax we actually ran a story uh i think it was two years ago on how you need to not use slack for uh important trusted communication um okay. I, I, I don't know what to tell you know it's like um, yeah so we haven't know, confirmed uh, that twitter hasn't confirmed it but the new york times reported yeah. it and i think it's fairly credible they were talking yeah. to people who were on the periphery of this hack these 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 guys who steal who sim swap and steal um single character uh twitter handles and short ones like at alex has anybody tried ever tried to hack you you know, not that I've noticed, but I do run, I mean, I'm not going to exactly detail what security I use, but my Twitter account was the first thing that I put on my password manager and I have other security stuff attached to it just out of general, um, you know, general reasonableness. But I, I was most surprised that they got to Joe Biden's account and all of this because when be it was so secure, right? You would think so, right? Well, I, now after I heard about the Slack thing, I was less sure. But when they got Elon, well, but that's and they got, Twitter's you know, fault. That's not Joe Biden's fault. Entirely. No, I'm not. Hey, Twitter has a God mode 
that is accessible apparently without, you know, severe, you should, for instance, it should be IP checked, it geolocated mm-hmm. checked, it should only be accessed, accessible to the most trusted Twitter employees, and it should not have its credentials posted in a Slack channel. No. There's one other, there's one other I- really serious issue that, that, that came out of this uh, that, that I find to be very mind-boggling, which is that uh, it does appear that some uh, direct messages uh, from accounts that were hacked, yeah. although not the verified accounts, but the non-verified accounts, uh, were, were downloaded or otherwise accessed. And the problem there is, is that people like using a service. So you're in Twitter, you want to continue using Twitter, you don't want to have to hop out and use an end-to-end encrypted service, even though you may have signal on your phone or wire or whatever. And people still, including in the in the uh, InfoSec world, still communicate uh, uh, very um, confidential information over Twitter DM. Dopey, it's, do not. It, 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 it really just sort of, you know, beggars the mind. Like, yeah. why on earth would you do this when you know it's not secure, when you know Twitter employees have access? I, you know, I, I was talking with somebody about it, and I said, this is like, if Twitter is the public square, then you're going off into a corner of the public square and having a conversation. You think it's private, but everyone else is still around you. It's just that, you know, it looks like you're being a little bit more secretive. I, I mean, it, it, it's really mind-boggling. How much, Seth, you've covered break-ins and things like this for years. How much should we trust, for instance, uh, these uh, hackers, these SIM swapper hackers telling the new and plug walk Joe, for instance, Right. How much? How, how accurate is this? Or I worry that this is disinformation, that it isn't some guy named Kirk or that it maybe was some guy named Kirk, which is what they said. But he had right. other motives besides merely this stupid spammy thing, which at best netted him 100,000, although we don't even know because it's very typical yeah. when there's a, a Bitcoin address given for a hack like this, that the guys who control it will put money in and take money out to make it to obfuscate yeah. how much is going on there how credible is this or could it all be a smokescreen for something much more devious i mean it could be in the in the the grand we just don't know uh we don't know we do know uh you know joe cox over at at, uh, vice motherboard was the first person to report on sim swapping in connection to the twitter hack so uh, the fact that the New York Times seems to have also confirmed it indicates that sim swap, at least the sim swapping community, in some to, to some degree, was involved in this. Um, what were the original? Are the motives as they were reported by the New York Times or as they were reported by by uh, Joe Cox? Uh, probably, possibly. Um, you know, I, I this always puts me stuff like this always puts me in mind of. Uh, the Sony hack from uh, the end of 2015, and nobody would believe that it was North Korea that did it. Right. And, you know, everybody was very, very skeptical. North Korea's uh, hacking uh, division was not really on a lot of people's radar, and lo and behold, it turned out to be North Korea. So uh, are, the, are the hackers that are talking to the media actually the people who are behind this and their motives are what they describe them to be. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, I think that a more paranoid stance is probably the better one to take. Uh, don't trust Twitter DMs. Um, you know, uh, I, really make sure that if you're doing if you're doing sensitive communication, do it in do a it place that that that's sensitive. Yeah. You know, and you know, I turned I made my Twitter account private, but that's kind of that's useless. 
because if somebody has access to the God Mode dashboard, they could change anything. They could make it public again. They can do anything sure. they want. They could. I use a YubiKey. I turned off SMS for a, a normal hacker. <laughs> that would be good security. But if you've got yeah. the dashboard, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It, you know, if you're if you're use again, if you're using services that are not end to end encrypted, which basically means that the only people that can see messages are at either end of the message, the person sending it and the person right. receiving it, then. Uh, you know, anyone who works for the service potentially has access to what's being communicated, uh, whether it's photos or whatever. I mean, Facebook probably has very similar access that, uh, you know, that Twitter does. Uh, LinkedIn probably has very similar access. Um, I mean, the thought of like LinkedIn getting hacked and whatever's being said in those messages between people, uh, I think is truly terrifying because that's ostensibly where so much business is being uh, conducted. Yeah, I mean, so there were a number of real concerns that come up. Uh, one is they could tweet as President Trump, um, you know, well, go to your, go to your basements issue, because right? I'm about to launch a nuclear attack on Russia. Yeah, they could. Yeah. I mean, who knows how much chaos that would cause? But the point is, the president uses Twitter for policy statements. Yes, and it's risky now that somebody could have impersonated him. I think it's also telling that somebody did not impersonate him. Uh, that's a little suspicious to me. Now, the Kirk, this Kirk guy, um, b was a SIM swapper, apparently. He sold at Y mm -hmm. for 1500 in Bitcoin. That Bitcoin went to the same address that was later used in this scam to double your, your Bitcoin. So that ties him directly to this. We don't know who Kirk is. In fact, he has no history uh, he only made his, his Discord account where all the conversations going on uh, a month ago. So um, who is Kirk? I don't know. Could be Vladimir. I don't know. Um, it doesn't. It does seem like it was just a simple dumb Bitcoin scam that had best waste. netted him a hundred thousand dollars at best. What I mean, a waste! A hundred G's is nothing. nothing. You did all this work well, to get in there, and you got a hundred G's. Well, for I mean, instance, you could make more well, than that if you took some time and it, and it, stayed in the God mode and sold some accounts bit by bit. Uh, I would imagine there are people who would want Joe Biden's account for a lot of money. <laughs> or yes, it, right? It could it could it could easily have been a you know a, a trial run for you know whether or not this this way of getting at those accounts is effective but then you've um, busted it because by doing it you've gone very public even i with no inside information immediately knew this was an inside job and sure. and and almost either was a rogue employee or someone had got into the administrator accounts um, yeah. uh, that that was obvious so you've blown your cover now by doing this there's all sorts of things they could for instance they could have just download DMs in the background without anybody knowing for years. Sure. sure. Maybe they have sure. been. Yeah, true. I mean, true. We, don't, we, we don't know how long they've had access, for one thing. Um, and I, I mean, I, I hesitate to speculate during cases like this, which are rapidly unfolding, and we don't yet. Absolutely. It hasn't even been five days since Absolutely. this happened. So. And Twitter's so, not been super so, forthcoming, so. No, and nor should they, I don't think, at this point. I mean, I think, you know, they've they've said what they need to say, and it's pretty clear that there is uh, a lot of alignment between what's been reported and yeah. what Twitter has been saying. But, I, you know, I, I, I think that this is the kind of thing where where there are there are so many moving parts, and we don't know 
we don't even, I mean, the people who are behind this are certainly, you know, not on any law enforcement radar now. Uh, I mean, until now. So, yeah, I, to, to me, the, the, the takeaways from this are twofold. First of all, we're wondering, okay, is this China or Russia or Iran or one of the usual suspects in terms of state-sponsored hacking? And then they invented a Kirk to sort of be the face of it, the you know the young, naive face of this. I, I think probably this hack itself is an, is what it appears to be. Some dumb kids managed to stumble into Twitter and tried to make some money from it, and they could have made a lot more, and they didn't do it that well. But my so the first thing that this tells me is that you know the likelihood is that China, Russia, Iran, certainly the NSA and others have been probably exploiting the same hack and rummaging oh, around in these accounts, interesting, um, invisibly behind the scenes for probably years. The other thing is that we talk about these risks. I know we're going to talk about TikTok later, but this is a public network. When something like this happens and it goes public, the effect of it is visible to all of us. Most of the effects are the fact that it exists. Uh, is visible to all of us. But when this sort of thing happens within WhatsApp, for example, in what's we were talking about, what if, you know, somebody took over Trump's account and, and said there's a nuclear war or whatever, that kind of thing actually happens in places like India through WhatsApp. People say, oh, there's, you know, they, they start riots and stuff like that through these false mm -hmm. rumors within WhatsApp. And it's far more nefarious uh, in those private networks where you can't see what other people are seeing. Right. And it's certainly even worse than TikTok, where you can algorithmically show a million people a million different messages. So I think, you know, all of these suspicions are, uh, are, are suspicions we should have. But we should be aware that these kinds of things, the same kinds of things can be happening in the secret behind the scenes networks like Facebook, et cetera, which is far more nefarious. And it does. And we, we know it does. We, it happens all the time. Right. Absolutely. So, yes. So so setting aside an issue like shouldn't Twitter have, you know, encrypted its DMs end to end, uh, which we know they've been, you know, has been debated internally there for 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 years uh, and Twitter has always refused to do it. Um, I think there's a there's a real issue here that that it gets back to the to the Sony question, which is what role do does the U.S. government need to play in advising tech companies as to uh, how to protect their, you know, their, their internal tools, how to protect their data. Um, and not just tech companies, because it's media companies, it's, it's financial institutions. We do know that there is communication, right? There, there's no way that they're not talking. But we're, 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 we're it feels sort of like, uh, like tech organizations are, are working, uh, going in one direction. The U.S. government is going in another direction, and there's not collaboration where there should be. Well, right? they, you don't want a nation state attacking a tech company without the tech company the, being aware the, that they're the being targeted. Is, by the, nation the U.S. State. government is simultaneously going in two different directions, all multiple, all the time. Yeah. The NSA, for instance, has a complete duality. On the one hand, their their job, their responsibility is to protect American companies and Americans, I guess, peripherally from hacks mm -hmm. by other companies, countries. On the other hand, their mission is to do those, perpetrate those hacks on other countries. Sure. And as we found out, in the process of which, creating hacking tools that they, whoops, let escape and yeah. turned into uh, ransomware technologies like Eternal Blue that were used against Americans. So sure. even within the NSA, 
There are these com- oh, yeah. conflicting goals, dualities. There's been there's been talk for a long time of having a cyber czar, um, and, you know, some some one you know uh, person who's in charge of. Uh, wasn't Rudy least, Giuliani the cyber czar? For, <laughs> I'm not I'm not even joking. No, no, I know. No, I mean, I know. He, you know, it's 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 scary. It's really scary. <laughs> That's Trump, the Trump initially Trump initially yeah. proposed that Baron Trump do it. Yeah, he's he knows the he right. He's all over the yeah. cyber. So really, the the questions for me have to do with Twitter at this point, because I think I mean, again, we don't know exactly, but it sure looks like Twitter didn't do a very good job. Forget end to end encrypting DMs. They let some bozo get access to their God mode. That is a, a horrific breach of responsibility. And because, and honestly, uh, I think it should diminish Twitter as a public utility. They have been a public utility, chiefly because of the president, but they have become right. this important public utility. But I think this should diminish their role there because pretty clearly they can't be trusted with it. I would like Twitter to make a much more clear. They did put a blog post up yesterday. Um, as we head into the weekend and next week, we're focused on these core objectives, restoring access for all account owners. Oh, yeah. The first thing they did is they turned off verified yes. accounts, which actually in ter- it makes no sense, except that it won't be people from verified accounts who are sending out these Bitcoin. <laughs> it was right. very first. funny, though, Leo. That was one of the funniest yeah. hours on Twitter I've ever had. Well, like, all of a sudden, none of yeah. us could tweet. Uh, and, and by the way. I saw article after article of saying this is how it's – there was a wired – Twitter is at its best when the verified accounts can't tweet. Man, this is great. It's like it used to be where are they, none of these celebrities some, – some, I take offense at that. Some verified accounts – there is yeah, I don't know what to think about that. I'm verified. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think we're all verified. There's some – there's okay. uh, apparently a Twitter account that has tweeted every word. And so some verified accounts were actually retweeting word by word, because you could still retweet, word by word, making messages by retweeting one word at a time. I did not sink to that so, level. I was way worse than that, Leo. <laughs> like that, that's actually flip. rather innovative. I uh, I was just texting with my friends, and I had them tweet out my texts for me, oh, and then Jesus. I would retweet them when they would tweet my texts. You text. guys are addicts. Uh, <laughs> We were, I mean, we were having fun. Remember when Twitter was fun, Leo, yeah, back in the day? Twitter's That's what it again. felt like. It felt like a community. So, Twitter's talk. first yeah, before, goal is before to Before the res- president got involved. Twitter's first goal, and this was yesterday, we want to restore access for all the account owners who may still be locked out as a result of our remediation efforts. Two, our second goal, continuing our investigation in the incident and cooperation with law enforcement. Finally, at three, they get to the most important point. Further, secu- further is a dubious word, securing our <laughs> systems to protect future attacks and then rolling out additional company-wide training to guard against social engineering tactics. This was back when they said it was social engineering. Like somebody took our engineer out and got him drunk and got the password. But I think... I believe the Slack story, so we don't know yet, but yeah. that sounds like exactly what some nitwit would do. Um, so, but I, what should be the so consequence that, to Twitter? What is the res- upshot of this? It's like saying, what should the consequences be to Facebook for for allowing uh, the kinds of political discourse that have happened there? I mean, they're they're not going to face any punishment. They're not nothing's going to happen. Um, but we can it, demand. We should demand that they do a better job of security. 
I think the embarrassment matters a lot, though. I think the fact that they're so ashamed of this. I mean, it was so public. My in-laws brought this up to me. We were having dinner, and and they're not Twitter users really at all. And they were like, did you hear about Twitter? I'm like, oh, yes, I did, because I was there. I logged off to come see you. Um, Here's what Twitter wrote. We are acutely aware of our responsibilities to the people who use our service and to society more generally. Unfortunately, that's the case. We're embarrassed. We're disappointed. And more than anything, we're sorry. We know we must work to regain your trust. And we will support all efforts to bring the perpetrators to justice. We hope that our openness and transparency throughout this process and the steps and works we will take to safeguard against other attacks in the future will be the start of making this right. I think that's completely so, sincere. So if we see, I mean, if, if, if Twitter is really sincere about this, then we will see uh, the security team at Twitter being taken a lot more seriously. Uh, we will see security improvements being made to Twitter. Um, and, you know, not unlike Zoom, you know, where they went out and hired a bunch of security experts and brought them in and said, what do we need to do? And they laid out... Uh, you know, a series of steps. And for the most part, it seems like Zoom achieved that goal uh, or Google in 2010 when they uh, revealed they'd been hacked by China. Uh, and then Google suddenly started taking ser- security significantly more seriously. Um, we should see in the next three to six months major steps uh, taken by Twitter. And and um, part of the problem is, is that I think that this is internally uh, a culture issue. Yeah. This is a, mm. an issue where Twitter's security team needs to be uh, taken a lot more seriously. The products need to be updated with security in mind, as well as user experience and other very important things. But um, uh, to not do so, I think, is, a, is, is you know, uh, almost a criminal act within six months of this presidential election. I don't think it's that big of a deal, really, because, I mean, Twitter is facing (laughs) embarrassment. Probably there's an economic uh, downfall. Really, ultimately, Twitter is mostly a public thing. It's not like it's a financial service. And in the larger scheme of things, I mean, this is a case in which Twitter's probable negligence or alleged negligence led to some users being screwed in one way or another, whereas and it was accidental. Uh, whereas with Facebook, we learned that, you know, this that Facebook screws its users on purpose 10 <laughs> times a year. And so it's in the, in the larger scheme of things, this is a relatively innocent thing. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sure they'll fix it. But I just don't think this is that big of a deal. It's only it only feels like a big deal because big deal users were affected. I feel like it's a big deal. Obviously, what happened is not a big deal. Like but, Alex. But what but what could have happened could have been a big deal. And the fact that the president of the United States uses Twitter as his, pri- I mean, literally primary way. He could have press conferences. He could put out memos. He could write articles. There's a million ways a president can communicate. He has the bully pulpit. He chooses Twitter as the primary way he communicates with the outside world. Gives Twitter an, an unusual role. Not a role it, it deserves, it's a, but it's a, a real – and as a result, I think there's a higher standard that has to be applied to Twitter. Um, maybe not. I disagree. I mean what, what, what Trump has trained us to do is, is to not believe anything he <laughs> yeah. tweets. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. It's not a yeah, – as somebody uh, in the chat room said, it's not a Twitter problem. It's a president problem. But but it's just the fact of the matter. That's, you know, as Roosevelt used radio and fireside chats, the president uses Twitter. And so, yeah. I mean, they're talking about, uh, you know, the, the Republicans talk about uh, anti-conservative bias on social media. 
this should concern them a, a little bit more. You could put words into the mouth of, of leaders, not just the president, but all kinds of leaders all over the world, uh, if you had access to this tool. Do you yeah, think no, we would Trump- just ignore it if, if, if the president said, you know, I, I really decided I don't like uh, China, so we're going to nuke them. Or we're going to, yes. or Elon Musk said, um, you know, let's say you, sh- so one of the things they could have done is short Tesla and then have Elon tweet, you know, you're right. This whole thing isn't working. We've lost a mil- billions of dollars. I'm going to shut it down or, or vice versa, buy Tesla and have Elon said, I have got the funds to buy Tesla, take it private. And, uh, I'm going to do so at $420 a share. Oh, wait a minute. He already did that. Yeah, you already did that. The thing, though, is I, I think we've lost so much uh, faith in the in the president's ability to tweet factual things. And if he tweeted out, Elon Musk, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he, if he tweeted out, yeah. we're going to nuke China right now. I, I would. Well, one, I always have to double check that it's the actual president, and not a parody account. Because they're often very close. Um, but I wouldn't believe it from his Twitter account because I think he would just be confused about his own process. I don't think the president would be that on the ball. Um, so so if you I agree think with Mike. We, right. we don't. We definitely wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But there might be others who would. I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I hear you. We're not all, we're not the entire world here. I mean, yeah. but I think we are some of the most online people that have ever existed. Like the four of us, it's pretty bad. But what uh, if he tweeted, "I'm going to give Kim Jong Un uh, uh, one day to dismantle all the nukes, or we're going in." Well, it's Trump. So the, the, the next day, he'd say, "Never mind, we're it, best friends." Well, within within 20 minutes, we would be able to identify that this was not tweeted by him and it was false, okay. et cetera. All right. uh, this is the nature of Twitter because it's public. And again, I think we should really be worrying about the secret private, the private stuff. behind the scenes communications yeah. networks. That's the beauty of Twitter. This hack was clearly a hack within yeah. seconds. We yeah. all knew that there was a hack going on. Yeah. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. That's a very good point. All right, next TikTok. We're going to take a break. <laughs> oh, I love the I love tech. It's a never-ending panoply of bizarreness. Uh, Alex Wilhelm is here. He is uh, he likes to call himself a reporter. He's modest. Senior editor at TechCrunch. Longtime friend. It's great to see you in my old hometown. It's good to be here. Actually, my old house. Yes, sir. Uh, in the backyard where I, as yes. a young lad, would lounge about. <laughs> Today it is so hot. It feels like it's the yeah. surface of Mars or the sun, whatever the hotter thing is. But uh, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah, it gets really cold and really hot. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Mike Elgin is here. He's grounded for the nonce. Elgin.com. Yep. Mike, you're still doing Mike's List, which I love. Uh, yep, Mike's List. Um, guess what, Leo? The, Mike's List is now 20 years old. What? That's 20. amazing. Oh, That's really yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, and you have a cardboard robot head behind you, so yeah, one 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 more year, and Mike's list can drink alcohol. Twenty one. We're great to have Seth Rosenblatt here. Perfect day. Our security guru at the Parallax. Yeah, that worked out really well. Yeah, <laughs> I think our, our producer has some uh, has some uh, ideas in his head. He's thinking things out. Oh, oh, are you blaming your producer for this? Was it your? How long have you been booked for this show? Uh, a couple of weeks. Okay, Two so weeks? you're right. A week, something. It was just. Can, it was just. I, I don't know. It was just. Time good has time. no meaning anymore. Although Leo. there's almost time always a security no flaw in the world, isn't there? There's yeah. Plenty yeah. to talk yeah. about with Seth. Our show it's today so- brought to you by. We're so glad to have him back. Salesforce. We use uh, Salesforce uh, as uh, as our CRM, as our customer relationship management. It's our sales team is using it all the time. I want to talk a little bit about something uh, that we perhaps will use in the future, Salesforce Service Cloud. 
This is a way that you can serve your customers, super serve your customers. Service Cloud wants you to be prepared during these unknown times. They, they know you're trying to do more with less. You're hustling to adapt to new customer needs, new, new, new ways of business. You're innovating to respond to the current environment. That's, that's what's so amazing, how flexible American business has been. Number one, though, you want satisfied customers. That means you need a platform that performs quickly and efficiently to meet their needs. That's Salesforce Service Cloud, the world's number one customer service platform, empowering organizations of all sizes to deliver service anywhere, anytime. It runs out of the box without any customization, but, you, but the sky's the limit. You can customize it to your heart's content so you can make it the best solution for your customers. Many people just install it, run it as is, and as they use it, fine-tune it to get it closer and closer to what they need to maintain their customers' relationships. Service Cloud, out of the box, allows you to rapidly respond to customer needs wherever those customers are, Facebook, WhatsApp, chat, text messaging. You could do it from the house, which is good because that's where most of us are these days. You can do it in the field. You can do it in the office. You can provide instant support with self-service portals for your customers. Customers love this. If they can go to a, a website and get articles, account info, talk to other community members, and all of this is built into Salesforce Service Cloud. It uses AI. In fact, there's AI-powered chatbots you can embed on your website to help resolve customers' issues quickly. They're so good you won't know. The customers don't know that it's a chatbot. They're so good, they get the job done and, and release you and your employees to do the more personal stuff that you need to do too. Give your service team the tools to provide an unforgettable customer experience. You'll be resolving cases faster using their suite of intelligent productivity tools. You'll give your agents a complete shared view of every customer and interaction. They love it. It just comes right up on the screen. You could personalize every customer conversation. You can always give your customer exactly the service they need and deserve. And it's so fast. It's so flexible. Salesforce Service Cloud lets trailblazers like you provide world-class service anytime, anywhere, whether it's messaging, chat, phone, self-service, or in person. And if you're not yet a trailblazer, here's your chance to become a Salesforce trailblazer. Over 150,000 companies keep their customers happy with Salesforce. By the way, uh, we're all remote, right? Uh, you Maybe you missed Dreamforce, some of the great training and, and events that Salesforce puts together. There's a virtual event coming up. We want to invite you to Service Changemakers. It's free. You'll be joining professionals from all over the country for online learning and sharing and networking. This is going to be a really fun event and a real informative event. Whether you're new to Salesforce or a longtime Service Cloud user, everyone's welcome. It's July 28th, but do register right now. Don't wait. Uh, once you register, you'll get more details about it. And here's the uh, site. Just go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash service change makers. Um, that's a different address than the one you see on the screen. This is for the event. This is for the event. Service Changemakers, B-I-T dot L-Y slash service change makers. And if you want to know more, about Salesforce Service Cloud, you can find out at bit.ly slash Salesforce for service, bit.ly slash Salesforce for service. That's the address to find out how the world's number one service platform can help grow your business. We're big fans of Salesforce. And Service Cloud is a really great way for you to provide the service your customers need, want, 
and deserve. Salesforce for service. bit.ly slash Salesforce for service. Thank you, Salesforce. Welcome to the Twit family. We're very excited. TikTok hysteria. That's what Mike Masnick calls it at Tech Dirt. And I'm inclined to to kind of go along with him. The drumbeat has started. It started with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo saying we're looking at banning TikTok in the United States. It has been banned in other places. It's been banned in India, along with a lot of other Chinese applications. Of course, China does the same thing. Twitter and Facebook and other social media are banned in China. Uh, But we have a kind of a different style here in the United States of America. Uh, Amazon, remember, sent out that letter saying, oh, last week, stop using uh, TikTok on your company phone. And then they retracted it because it turns out they have a lot of relationships with TikTok. Um, For all we know, they use their uh, Amazon Web Services. Where do you stand on the TikTok war? I'll give you one opposite, opposing point of view from Mike Masnick's. Somebody I I respect equally, I think is an equally astute observer, Ben Thompson in Stratechery, wrote a long article. He's never written a short article that I know of. (laughs) 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 Wrote a long article. He says, this is a prescription I don't come to lightly. Perhaps the most powerful argument against taking any sort of action is that we aren't China and isn't blocking TikTok something China would do. But if China's on the offensive against Western liberalism, with a lowercase l, not only within its borders but within ours, it's in liberalism's interest to cut off a vector that has taken root precisely because it's so brilliantly engineered to give humans exactly what they want. He says, I would prefer Congress take the lead, but... I think Apple and Google should ban TikTok, remove it from the App Store, and make it un, un, unusable if it's already installed on a device. So that's the extreme opposite. Mike, Ma- Mike Masnick says, TikTok's never demonstrably done anything wrong. This is xenophobia at its worst. All right, Alex, where no. do you stand? I'll start with right. Alex and we'll move around. So couple of things. One, the canard that TikTok collects too much information about users is silly. Trump has been talking about this some, and we all know that many social applications are essentially just vacuums for your information. So that doesn't really bother me one way or the other. One thing that does, though, is the opacity of the TikTok algorithm. Now, we all know that TikTok has become very popular because it uh, it's an amazingly uh, addictive thing to use because it just feeds you more and more stuff and then you watch it. Um, without really knowing how that recommendation engine works, we don't really know if they're pushing any particular narrative. We do know that there has been some rules in place on TikTok back in the day that were then exposed and then taken down that didn't show off people that were heavier in size and uh, weren't a certain color and so forth. And so there's always been some issues with how TikTok operates. So if TikTok doesn't want to get banned, uh, talking very publicly about how its algorithm works, I think would be an intelligent thing to do. I'm hesitant to say ban it today, but I'm certainly uh, sympathetic to the arguments that are in favor of it. I'm a little bit less than Ben, but more than Mike, I think is where I land. Yeah, and I think for a company like Wells Fargo, which it has to say, you can't use TikTok on your company phone, is completely reasonable for a lot of reasons. Yes. For one thing, you don't want the teller behind, behind the counter to be sending <laughs> TikToks. But, but I think that that's reasonable. But whether I don't think it's in... There would be any precedent for the United States government to say we are going to prevent a Chinese app from being used, right, Mike? I don't think we've ever done that. 
I don't know if there's a precedent or not. I know that they have been apps banned because they've demonstrated some nefarious uh, activity on the app. Yeah. Right. But, but I think, I think that, uh, so I, I will take the devil's advocate position sort of in the more extreme version of Ben. And I think first let's characterize what Ben pointed out, which I think he's right on everything. He points out China's uh, national intelligence law, which means that by law, Chinese law, any Chinese company has to hand over any data they ask for, no questions asked. Um, but I'm not concerned, like like Alex, I'm not concerned about the data they're collecting. Yeah, they could figure out where secret bases are. They could they could harvest it for intelligence. It's a I don't think that's really the real concern. The real concern is what Ben Thompson highlighted, which is that TikTok is an amazing tool of propaganda. Here's right. an example that Ben trotted out, which is that. Um, so we all know that uh, President Trump had a rally that didn't have the turnout he wanted. And we found out later that, you know, they initially had a million signups for the rally and then like 6,000 people showed up, something like that. And it turned out that a bunch of TikTok users were doing this grassroots effort to fake uh, signups. Now, TikTok and K-pop stands. <laughs> exactly. That was a good week. So, to what extent? <laughs> yes, but to what extent did TikTok, the company, right, uh, facilitate the algorithmic growth of that movement? Yeah, because the woman who that posted that first on TikTok, that post immediately algorithmically got pushed to the top so that everybody saw it. So that, yeah, and that's so, a little so suspicious. It, yeah, it's not about Trump. It's about. It's about a Chinese company influencing American politics, which China has demonstrated, as Ben points out, a strong willingness to do. China tries to censor globally. They try to control dissidents globally. They try, they're increasingly meddling in other countries' activities. And TikTok is the fastest growing social network, if it is a social network, Ben Thompson says it isn't, uh, ever. And so here's another one. They, he's found evidence that they are sensing Hong Kong protests. Okay, that's sort yep. of in Chinese, yep. Chinese bailiwick. They've been censoring the Houston rockets. Okay, they're they're out. They're using TikTok to meddle in the world's perception about China, and this is an increasing trend. So his his uh, his uh, remedy is that. TikTok be spun out into a, a non-Chinese company that is not beholden to the Chinese or, be, or beholden to Chinese law and stuff like that. I would argue with that as well, uh, argue in favor of that as well. But here's the problem, Leo. So some network is going to be the global network that everybody in the world uses. And by banning all foreign social networks, China has made it a matter of law that the only possible global network must be a Chinese social network. It has to be Chinese. Right. So so Facebook can never be global because it's banned in China. But TikTok can be global because it's not banned in the United States. And for that reason, mm -hmm. I think we should ban it. If they want if they want if China wants TikTok unbanned in the United States, then they can unban Facebook in China. Should mention the reason TikTok blocks the Houston Rockets is because their general manager had the temerity to tweet in support of Hong Kong protesters, at which point right. China said we're going to boycott the NBA, which makes a lot of money in China. NBA's lots of money. Very big in China. Uh, at one point, the NBA said we could lose $400 million due to a Chinese boycott over this single tweet from the GM. But that's but that's really a China problem at more than a TikTok problem. Well, well, there's you know the devil's in the details. So, for example, China's the Chinese government is currently in a um, tussle with the the government of Australia because government of Australia wants to uh, launch an inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. 
Uh, how did how did they let it? You know, did they did they cover up the spread of it early days, et cetera, et cetera? And Australia absolutely has a right to do this. Australians died and are still dying from the coronavirus, and they have the right to figure out what happened. And China is basically saying we're going to boycott Australia. Australia, we're going to uh, have sanctions on you if you don't stop investigating. And you know, TikTok would be a perfect way to sway Australian public opinion against the Australian government and in favor of the Chinese government in this sort of political war. This is the advantage that non-democratic countries like China have has over democratic countries like Australia. They sway public if you can you, if you sway public opinion in China, it doesn't do you any good because it's a non-democratic country. But in Australia, you can sway public opinion in a way that favors uh, Beijing's policies. And so that should be a concern to everyone. That's a really I, I, interesting, I, I, hold on just one second and I'll get you. Yeah. That's a really interesting uh, point, a much more subtle point than the one the U.S. government's driving home. Uh, the Trump campaign has actually been buying ads on Facebook, urging Facebook uh, members to sign a petition banning TikTok, saying the ads say TikTok has been caught red-handed by monitoring what's on your phone's clipboard. This, of course, is because in iOS 14, you see the little pop-up whenever anything looks at your clipboard. So you're in TikTok and you get these pop-ups every time you type a character. Um, TikTok says, uh, yeah, we did that because we, if there was a URL on your clipboard and you were posting, we wanted you to be able to quickly paste it in. We're gonna, we stopped doing that. It wasn't, by the way, Reddit did the same thing for the same reasons. Uh, a lot of different apps did that, including Microsoft's LinkedIn app. So I think it's a little bit disingenuous for this this campaign. But they are trying to get people to sign a petition to ban TikTok. I think that's the president ginning up the usual xenophobia rather than an actual fear of TikTok. But I think I think what you said, though, is very subtle. That's not that TikTok's spying on you. Mike Masnick's funny. He says, well, you got a bunch of crappy IoT devices from China also spying on you. That's the least, <laughs> the least of the worries. And what is China going to get uh, if, they, if right. they spy on my TikTok? So, Seth, you're the tiebreaker. <laughs> You've got one, one for and one against. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, anytime that any major government gets involved in banning technology or uh, banning uh, 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 apps um, it tends to go awry, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the line. So I, I'm very hesitant to see something like that for those reasons, uh, simply because it sets a very uncomfortable precedent as to what can and cannot be allowed by a government. Um, but I think that Mike hit on something really uh, clever that hasn't that hasn't quite been um, highlighted, which is TikTok itself. I mean, who really cares? Uh, the real issue, I think, is that in uh, it, it, is that in the way that uh, we have yet to figure out how to manage uh, soft diplomacy in the era of global tech, um, and we don't really have a good way of dealing with countries, not just China, uh, but say Russia. Uh, you know, or Iran or others um, that do engage in uh, uh, in technology in a way that we don't like. Um, TikTok itself as a as as an issue of uh, you know of, of uh, controlling the message uh, isn't too different, I think, from Voice of America. 
uh, you know, on radio. Um, but how are we as a country going to influence other countries uh, and their use of technology? Is it just allowing Facebook and Google and Apple and whomever to go do business wherever they want? Uh, or do we need to be a lot more thoughtful about how uh, you know, we do interact with the rest of the world? Um, and I think you know, TikTok, uh, by and large, and how they behave is stuff that we really don't see you know, any different from coming from any other country. Um, I don't think, you know, if you go searching on, on uh, you know, uh, what is it, Yandex, uh, Russian's search engine, um, you know, you're going to find uh, Russian propaganda up at the top. Um, I think that we, we just, we need to be a lot more thoughtful about how we're going about things. Uh, and the U.S., you know, for the past three and a half years has completely ceded uh, any interest in leading or guiding the rest of the world. And that's where yes. the real problem is. It's also the case that whenever we're threatened by an authoritarian regime like China, um, they have advantages against an open nation like ours. And there's always the temptation to say, well, we should be less open so that we can fight against these those that would undermine us. That's always the temptation. It's always the wrong way to go. Uh, because we preserve our integrity and our authority as a nation by being open and democratic and not doing things like banning TikTok, even though it presents a problem for us. I, we'd prefer to go that way than just to, be, to fight fire with fire, to become equally autocratic. Well, it would be, re it would be very interesting to see a situation where the U.S. government said, we'll allow TikTok as soon as Facebook is allowed into, into China. Right. I yeah. mean, I don't know that that would be a good idea, but that would be certainly interesting. To, I could see that to watch it yeah. now. Well, um, what China yeah, did, you know, they say, screw you. Right. Sure. Nothing would change. I mean, we just have a ban <laughs> of TikTok but, but, in the then, United States. Right. No, but but if the U.S. does that and also gets, say, you know, England, Germany, Australia, other places where TikTok wants to be big uh, on board, uh you could you could find I think, and this is what I was getting at when I when I was talking about diplomacy. You can get ways of pressuring countries that otherwise they wouldn't do. Um, you know, it's not it's not too different I think from how uh, Russia refuses to extradite any of its cyber criminals. We know that there are people hiding in Russia. Uh, you know, who are oh, yeah. uh, responsible Mueller, for for Mueller indicted, indicted twenty or thirty Russians. For meddling yeah, in the well, election, I think it was a dozen, but yeah, yeah whatever. We'll never see those guys. Yeah, nope. no, exactly. And 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 if there was a way to get other countries to pressure Russia, maybe you know Russia. I, I don't know. I mean, we could speculate for hours. But the point being is, is that without that kind of diplomacy, we're leaving, I think, a very crucial and important uh, negotiating tool uh, in the toolbox, and it needs to be used and implemented. Um, this kind of 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 uh, uh, freaking out because of of nonsense over the clipboard is is um, it weakens the argument at the end of the day. Uh, Mueller and well, a lot of 20, it is, is just Mueller, non just to get that number right. Twenty six yeah. Russian nationals, three Russian companies in his yeah. indictments, and of right. course you'll never yeah, I, I think you'll never see any of them. Right. The, 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 the freaking out over clipboards and the freaking out over the That's spy BS. capabilities yeah. 
is is just people who are non-technical and who don't understand it who are in Washington for example and I don't really don't trust the Trump I, administration I, not to I don't think they don't understand it I think they're just jumping on it cuz it's a it's a good story right convenient yeah. it sounds good but i think the largest problem here the the big big uber super problem here is that our impulses are based on a world where free speech is where publications or individuals say things in public and then we all look at what they they're saying and we all make our decisions and it's the free market of ideas and all that kind of stuff that's our impulses are based on that world but what we're talking about here is something entirely different. The world of secret algorithms where each individual user can be fed a different message based on data that's been oh, it's true. extracted over but years. But that's happening exactly on Facebook. That person's personality yeah. It's, it's happening it's everywhere. That's but that's Facebook, the larger that problem. Search, yeah. Yes, but that's the larger problem that our laws don't adequately deal with, our our, our diplomacy, our policies. We, we basically have all these instincts that are based on another world, and then we have the problems being caused by a new phenomenon that, that is it's, – it's, it's far more damaging and difficult of a problem than just the old arguments about free speech versus no free speech, et cetera. And when a foreign government can tweak the algorithms and speak directly see, yeah. and privately into the ears of millions it's of citizens in a democracy, I, agree. I think that's a different thing than the Voice of America, right. where it's just a news report saying, right. he, you know, and you can everybody can see it. So, uh, you know, it's I think the problem is we have to figure out how to deal with this algorithmically generated world. And to a certain extent, my bias would be in favor of just saying, you know what, Facebook or TikTok or whatever, no more algorithms until we figure this out. Because these algorithms are, I mean, this is this is what this is what probably but, determined the election well, in 2016. Would you do that by government fiat? You can't the government's not gonna say that, or should they? You can't you can't ban an algorithm. I think, I think you make a law saying well, no more. No, you can ban secrecy about an algorithm. Yeah, I think that there has sure. to be more transparency. But then, but you, but you got to but you gotta get. But then you got to get Facebook and Twitter to open up their algorithms, and good luck yeah, with absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, which I'm sure. Like, I'd lo I'd love to see independent. Yeah. I'd love to see independent um, audits of of all kinds of of uh, uh, social media uh, and other tech algorithms because. The, the problems that, that we've had with these algorithms, especially concerning facial recognition and other issues, has come about because nobody is auditing them yeah. or they're only being well, audited we, internally. And, and we can – I mean that's one of the things we talk about and have been for years on this show. Um, you know, the face, the YouTube recommendation engine, clearly the number one problem on YouTube. Uh, the Facebook yeah. newsfeed yeah. algorithm, clearly the number one problem on Facebook. But good luck getting those companies to abandon them because those are money makers. That's their secret sauce. That's like saying but Congress is going to force Coca-Cola to give up its secret recipe. This is the thing that bothers me. Our democracies are being compromised, but nobody. But what's sacrosanct is that is that is that Mark Zuckerberg has to make billions right. and billions and billions right. of dollars every quarter. That must be preserved. He must be have the right to to destroy democracy for his own personal profit. Why, why do we defend that? Yeah, no, I, like, I think we should. The yeah. first thing we should defend is our democracy. Right. Yes, but so Mike, before, it's not I mean, it's not defense per se. It's often fatalism. Like I don't think anyone here is saying that the world wouldn't be better if the algorithms weren't available. It would be. It'd be great if we could see them. Right. We're saying that with Congress accepts donations as it does from corporations, we're not going to get it. And the people in Congress are not going to be in favor of what you're saying. So my question is: in a world where, as Seth pointed out, there's no diplomacy, no collective action, and in a world, Mike, where we don't have the ability to force Facebook to do this because Congress is useless and the president's an idiot, what the hell do we do? 
I want to know what's an actual step we can take that's more constructive because I agree with you guys both in principle. I just don't see a way forward from those two data points. I think you're right. In a perfect world, we do that. But what's the pragmatic solution? Well, we we all advocate. We can't can't choose to not advocate things because the the Senate is is filled with bozos. (laughs) We have to advocate them anyway. Right. Let's advocate them. Let's advocate them. Is there anything short of that that we could do now? Well, I mean, certainly I think, you know, uh, taking the corporate approach, which, uh, you know, is sort of where we're at in America in the year of our Lord 2020, um, uh, and and pressuring companies to ban apps that the government feels are risky on corporate devices uh, is one way to do it. And especially because so much, uh, even pre-COVID, was done on your own devices. So much of people's work was done on devices that they had to pay for. But also had to be tied to work accounts and had, uh, uh, you know, uh, work restrictions placed on how those devices were used. Um, I would, I don't think that you could, you would encounter a ton of problems in banning uh, apps that way, going through corporations. Mike, would it be it would okay? Piss people off. Yeah. But it would, but it would, but it would, but that would send a message. Um, I, 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 and I say this really as a theory. I don't know that it's something that I would agree with. Um, you know, long term. But, you know, if we're looking for what levers we can pull, that w- that's one way of getting at, uh, at it. Um, Should we have uh, a great firewall of America? No. Good Lord, no. Uh, we, I, I think we You're should do something. There, there's a, there's an asymmetric warfare in terms of disinformation that we need to do something about. And probably a, a, a great firewall of America is not the solution, but at some point, um, we really have a grim future if every totalitarian regime in the world can just shape public opinion willy nilly. The, 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 here's the other thing that, I mean, you, you, you know, there, one thing is a national ban on certain types of social networks or, or the certain types of behaviors of certain social networks. But there is also institutional bans, as we're seeing with uh, Wells Fargo, et cetera. Did you know, and I don't see anybody talking about this, did you know that there are lots and lots of teachers in public schools in the United States who are seriously trying to figure out how to make TikTok part of their curriculum? What? And to use TikTok okay, as an that's educational a bad idea. tool. <laughs> but yes. you got to go where the kids are, man. You got to <laughs> That's what they're saying. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's a that's a bad idea. So, I would be in favor of things like no TikTok in schools, for yeah. example. Sure. Uh, that's fine. That just makes it there. more desirable to the kids. It's forbidden yeah. a forbidden pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if the teachers advocate it, they won't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe I the think, teachers should I use it. That's the way to kill it. You say it's now part of the curriculum. <laughs> that would <laughs> definitely kill it. The good news is that every social network eventually goes the way of the boomers. Like we all used to be on Facebook back before, you know, some people arrived. And then now we're not on Facebook as much as we used to be. Twitter is showing remarkable resiliency over time. But I'm sure TikTok will also become taken over by brands and boring people and then it'll go away. Uh, The question is what happens in the short term? And I think the impending election gives this entire conversation um, a lot more uh, importance because I think we're all very scared about influence 
uh, going into this. But I'll just say there are some politicians who are reasonable on these issues that have uh, actual thoughts about them. Like Elizabeth Warren, I think, is one of them. Not mm -hmm. saying that I agree with her entirely, but I maybe I was slightly too harsh on Congress earlier saying they're all idiots. I would just now say they're mostly idiots. <laughs> uh, but there are some of them who do understand tech issues and have reasonable positions on them. And maybe sure. one thing we could do back to concrete steps is elevate those voices uh, to a higher part of the discourse away from, you know, Trump Facebook ads or whatever yeah. the hell we're at. Ron now. White, Ron Wyden's another one. Um, one of the one of the difficulties, I think, in the situation that that Congress as a whole is facing uh, both the House and Senate is that most of the more reasonable voices on tech are coming only from the Democratic Party. And when you have uh, tech awareness being a political issue in that way, uh, take, for example, uh, election security and voting security, voting machine security, yes. um, then you have an incredible knowledge gap that's also been politicized. And we've seen what happens there when, you know, you politicize masks. Um, what we don't want are people who look at tech and say, oh, this is a Republican issue or this is a Democratic issue, because then you wind up with a lot, uh, a, a lot less uh, wiser discourse. Um, and I also think that these people that uh, of what's a good idea versus a bad idea. It has to be said that back in May, the initial TikTok hysteria in Washington was a clear bipartisan effort. I mean, it was both parties coming together to uh, crap all over TikTok. And so <laughs> that, yeah. that brings hope. Let's all come together to crap all over TikTok. Uh, well, and you could, by Here's the way, episode, substitute Huawei for TikTok in a lot of this conversation. And that goes back yeah. to the Obama administration uh, yes. and the Department yeah. of Commerce. And I, you know, yeah. for... For all of the presumed problems that Huawei presents, there there's never been any real evidence. I mean, they're you know they're kind of a not a great company, but that they've spied on Americans. That their equipment is spyware. There's never been any, as far as I know. Seth, have, is there? Well, there's. I mean, that, that that's the super micro story, right? Where this incredible story came out. It seemed. I mean, it it it, it falls in line with everyone's paranoia, but. We've, but un, unlike with, uh, with Twitter this week where, you know, Vice ran a story and then New York Times ran a story a few days later confirming independently much of what the Vice story said, we've never seen a confirmation no. of Supermicro. And, and I have only seen rumors and supposition uh, when it comes to Huawei. Uh, I'm coming to it, the conclusion that that Bloomberg Supermicro story was a plant. That that, ah. that Bloomberg fell for an NSA plot, that because most of the most of the sources I suspect were from three letter agencies. It, 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 without without ascribing motive, because who you know, without talking with with folks, it's hard to say. I would presume that it's more an issue of a of a bunch of people trying to describe an elephant and just Maybe. getting. I know. think Bloomberg but, got played, but, but Bloomberg's it, never retracted. Also, Never explained, and yeah. there's never been any evidence presented. But with Huawei, it, it, again, it would be not out of the line of reason to say, oh, well, if you open up your devices so we can, you know, have them independently audited, uh, you know, or, or again, using other forms of soft diplomacy um, would go, I think, a lot further. Uh, what if ByteDance by – <laughs> They can't be compelled by Cepheus. Uh, they could be compelled by Cepheus, the Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S., to mm. to disgorge the musically 
uh, acquisition, which was a big part of TikTok's success because that was a lot of the lip syncing mm-hmm. stuff. But what if ByteDance, seeing this as an economic problem, said, all right, we're going to move out of China. We're going to become a, we're a Western company. We're just going to leave. It would come down to the terms of service to me. Like, you know, do they still have that same uh, thing that says, you know, information may be passed to the parent corporation? If the answer is yes, well, well, then wait the same a minute. problems I mean, the Chinese government requires that Apple store all the iCloud stuff from Chinese citizens on Chinese servers where the Chinese government has full access. So right, that's, you're to create Apple's a, doing that. Yeah, but you're trying to create a firewall between U.S. users, well, global users and global data versus uh, Chinese users. I don't think we can help. Chinese individuals uh, around the Great Firewall of China. I think there's not much we can do there, but we can try to think about our own borders and our own safety. That's why I think there are dis- distinct issues there, Leo. All right. Well, so so one thing that that I think a lot of this conversation gets around is, but but hasn't quite hit is that we're we're really talking about what role, what greater role can government play to positively impact tech, and what we've seen. And there, there was a story earlier this week on how Cisco was involved in the creation of China's Great Firewall. Um, yes. You know, should there be a ban on U.S.-based companies uh, working with countries, uh, you know, that are authoritarian or, or, or in other ways, uh, you know, are known to be bad actors in a space? Um, I think this is, this is really serious because we've gone so far towards the direction of supporting private companies and allowing private enterprise to rule everything from tech to, to you know, who pays for our health care, um, that now that we're discussing what role government can play to help people in these situations and, and, and help consumers uh, and help the uh, international relations, um, I, I think is really interesting. But you know, we, well, along there, those has, lines, there, there has to be a, a, a lot more forethought, and I don't see that happening until we see changes in Washington. I think it's precisely forethought that would, would suggest that we should, in fact, ban Huawei as a provider of 5G equipment, uh, simply for the same reason that, you know, the reason we built the national highway system, the reason Eisenhower uh, really wanted that was not because the Soviet Union at the time had demonstrated its attempts and and uh, and desire to invade the United States, but w- that it was a possibility at some point in the future. And if that ever happened, you'd want to be able to get the military equipment across the country uh, to wherever they were invading. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, likewise, you know, if Huawei, you know, Huawei, if, you know, 5G equipment is is a firmware update away from becoming the ultimate spy tool or the ultimate cyber warfare tool. And so something like 5G equipment is not something that can be left in the hands of a company that is closely aligned with the Chinese Communist Party. Personally, that's what I think. And this is exactly what you're talking about, Seth. This is thinking about the long term. This is thinking uh, from the way, for example, you know, it's a military problem, ultimately, a cyber war, uh, especially if it's combined with actual military uh, activity, is something that you want to make sure that you are prepared for. And so, you know, when it gets to networking equipment that everybody's relying on, I think that's too sensitive to be left to a company like Huawei, which, again, has demonstrated a sort of bad faith, everything, everything from stealing, <laughs> what was it, T-Mobile's uh, robot arm once, yeah, uh, to yeah. you, know, you name it. It's a long list of transgressions. And so I, I, I would tend to lean, but of course, this is something that 
the Trump administration was very much, you know, they were very much against Huawei until it became clear that it was just a bargaining yeah, chip. For them, it was just trade that, war uh, stuff. Yeah. Although yeah. now TSMC, the Taiwan chip maker, says we know we can no longer sell our chips to Huawei, which is going to have. You know, the funny thing is Huawei's done economically great. They've had they had a great quarter. Yeah. Because uh, they're going to be all right. Because in China, people are patriotically buying Huawei. Uh, yeah, but for I think Huawei phones are great and should be allowed. Uh, Huawei phones are great. Yeah, they really are. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff I think should be completely allowed. I just think this, that that networking equipment like five G uh, base stations and so reasonable. on is a yeah. special case. Yeah, and certainly and that's... you forgot about how five G helps spread coronavirus. <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh, that's right. It's yeah. a giant that, conspiracy. We can't yeah. we can't leave out the important Facebook memes. This is what the people want. We have to talk about it. <laughs> oh, well. God. By the oh way, gosh. it's all going to be moot next month because Instagram is going to reveal its new TikTok competitor, Reels. <laughs> Starting no, in August, it that's it. It's 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 all over for well, TikTok. Facebook has a, such a wonderful track record with succeeding with stolen ideas. Well, but mm. you got to give Instagram credit. I think while they didn't put Snapchat out of business, they did with Instagram Stories and filters, kind of put a damper on snapchat's growth didn't they oh no yes. yeah it's, it's true that they have had some success um yeah um, facebook not so Google much plus yeah yeah but right. instagram's you know they've got the they got the utes on their side i think uh, we'll be interested <laughs> should we be uh pushing the kids of america to go to reels and say you know tiktok it's not safe it's chinese Reverse psychology. Tell them the opposite. Yeah. And then, then they'll yeah. do it. I think, I think right now what I'm amazed by is how many TikToks I get sent in group texts. I, I have different friend groups around the U.S. from, you know, I've moved around. And uh, people rarely send tweets now. They send mostly TikToks. TikToks. And I'm, I'm shocked by I, the, the cultural swear, penetration of the The only reason I don't have TikTok on my phone is not because I'm worried the Chinese government's following me around. I, I'm sure they are anyway. It's because it's too goddamn addictive. I spend it's too addictive. I, you start it and you're hours later doom scrolling. Through, except it's the opposite. It's more like joy scrolling through TikTok. It's so I've never used TikTok. I don't have it on my phone. I don't touch it. All right. Not so, interested. Well, all right. Let me just show you a couple of TikToks, Seth. We're gonna <laughs> prop like crack cocaine. What basically. is happening to my eyes? We're gonna prop your TikTok. eyes open here, no. and we're gonna make you watch some TikTok stuff. This is a this isn't is this a good like, example of, like a, of a TikTok. This is a good example of Chinese propaganda. Yeah, yeah. This is TikTok. It's all about the shoes. There's one. Uh, there's a there's a monster uh, truck. That's a good. That's good. Um, there's a dad working from home and surfing in his tie across to a Zoom meeting uh, across the pool. Here's a dog. There's a lot of nice pet TikToks. Uh, and, and you're not well. Sorry about that. Uh-huh. You're, not, <laughs> right there. you're not. You're not actually getting the real benefit of because I'm not playing the music because I don't want to get us oh, taken yeah, down. Thank you. But so there's a there's music that goes along with it as well. There's a very popular TikTok where this guy uh, has roped his 80 year old grandma into his TikToks. Um, let's see. Uh, well, you get the idea. You get the idea. Yeah. Yeah, don't you find that compelling? Don't you? Don't you, you mean like, so? How is this different from Vine? It's but it's Vine, Which but I it's also it's better than Vine. It's better far more Vine. algorithmically determined than Vine, and it's they just really know how to get the stuff that makes your eyes gl are glued to the screen. Well, I'm actually bummed okay. because and, and it's, I had some TikToks I wanted to show you that were on the top of my feed just minutes ago, and now they're 
they got new stuff because it's constantly adjusted to give. Uh-huh. You know, actually, uh, who was it? Was it Ben Thompson? Somebody had a really good point comparing TikTok to Quibi. Because, of course, <laughs> this, this was that very bad doomsday week for... Stop watching TikTok. I'm talking. This was that... <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, Twit is just there, there it is. talk. <laughs> I was watching that person keep falling down. So was watching it over shoes. and over and over. So, uh, Twit so talk. When when Quibi first came out three months ago, they offered a three month subscription. This was the platform Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman raised almost two billion dollars, hired big names to make seven minute videos because that's all we have attention for. Not just phone first phone only you couldn't put it on your tv you couldn't send it you just that's all it was but that three months ran out earlier this month and according i think it was sensor tower of the millions of people who signed up for quibi only seventy-two thousand kept their subscriptions ouch <laughs> so Eesh. and so i think it was ben thompson who explained what's going on and I thought this was very astute. I'll give Ben lots of credit on this one. By the way, we try to get him on the show all the time, but because of the hour, he's in Taiwan. It'd be very early morning. He's got the kids anyway. It's he can't re, he can't really do it. But we Ben, we love you. We quote you all the time. He said Quibi is the Hollywood model, which is that there is a scarcity of content. So the Hollywood model is we're going to use executives and all this stuff to pick the best content we can find. Most of it will lose money. Enough of it will be big hits. It'll support the rest of the economy. That's how Hollywood works. TV, movies, that's how Hollywood works. What TikTok and YouTube did is exact opposite. Everybody throw everything on there and then algorithmically will pick the best stuff. There's an infinitude. There's no scarcity of content. There's an infinitude of content and our algorithms will surface the best stuff. And I think that we can see that in the war between the Hollywood model and the Silicon Valley model, it's very clear the Silicon Valley model has completely dominated. It's, it's, it's like my, I always have this conversation with my wife. It's like, who, what, what is the better way to take photos? My wife likes to spend a lot of time setting up the photo, get the, getting the lighting just right, and then taking a picture. I like to take 5,000 pictures, and just by sheer chance, one of them is going to be pretty good. That's the TikTok model, basically. Yeah. When I was learning to take photos, that's what that was in freshman year of high school. That's what that was one of our projects. Go out, take a uh, a point and shoot camera, a, a disposable one, and shoot you know three rolls worth of film on it, and you know buy three of them I guess and shoot them, develop them, and the class will talk about your photos. And sure enough, like one per you know thirty six yeah. shots was good. Um, but that's but, called spray just, and pray. Yeah, right. There's a, yes. there's a lot of praying uh, on those clips from, from TikTok that you showed me. Yeah, you spray I, 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 and you pray. I still don't get it. I still don't get it. Oh, it just boggles my mind. Put it on there and try it. You'll never stop. Oh, it wastes oh, so much time. I also killed Instagram for the same reason, but also because the ads were so effective that I kept buying things in the middle of the night that I <laughs> ads deeply, are so good on Instagram. regretted. Oh, my God. No, no. You know, you know Seth, Seth, you're in yeah. San Francisco, right? So you're in California. Yes. There are legal yes. things you can purchase that would help you understand TikTok that you can consume. I'm just saying. Like what? You know, oh, that kind of thing. Like, you like go a down bag of 
Go head. down to the dispensary. Pick up yeah. some. Yeah. I know it's a family show, so I'm being oblique, but I'm what, like, what it'll help. I don't have those things. <laughs> I mean, I grew up here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, I am very familiar with these things. Here's I'm an sorry that you have that you struggle with these things in Rhode Island. Here's but. an Instagram purchase. <laughs> it's not legal in Rhode Island. It's legal in Massachusetts, which is about oh. four minutes away. Yeah, it's not very far. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> That's the beauty of Rhode Island. I, I, I never live in four Boston, minutes away. <laughs> so I'm, I'm aware <laughs> how close you are to, yeah. to uh, once, someplace else. As I, I grew up in Providence, once I realized as an adult that getting to Boston is like nothing. I got yeah. mad at my father. Why didn't you? he was a big baseball fan, and he would always say, "Oh, we can't go to the Red Sox the games; it's too far away." And it's like, Dad, I drive farther to go to the city. It's crazy. This is a this yeah. is um, this is called the hygiene. Hand. I wanted those things. <laughs> that's an, that's oh, yeah. I've seen them in ads, and I yes. just scroll past. You don't watch no enough. Design. You don't do enough Instagram. You see, I can hook on. What? I can. <laughs> Leo, what what is this? It's called a hygiene hand. It's for COVID. It's made out of copper, actually brass, but there's copper in it. And uh, you right. can go to the ATM machine. You never have to touch it, which is a big. I don't like touching touch screens. You can press elevator buttons. You can press oh. walk buttons. And the hook is very handy for grabbing things. This is the yeah, first time that, in my entire life well. that I've been. <laughs> Leo, that's too nerdy for me. I've never said that before on any Twitch show, but I think that's finally too much. So speaking speaking about COVID, I've got I've got an actual serious question that I've been wondering, and I've I've been digging around online, and I can't find a reasonable answer except for one thing, which I'll hold off on saying because I want to hear what you guys think. Why is it that tech companies, uh, especially Apple and Google and Samsung, aren't pushing contactless payments like? It, you know, like it's the thing that everybody's got to have. Well, it, Apple it, is. It, Apple is. They? In fact, I strap on my Apple Watch before I go to the grocery store because I can just right. wave it at the payment yeah. thing. Yeah. No, and I Apple mean, I, Apple wants everybody to do this, COVID or not. That's uh, they're pushing that hard. But it's it, but uh, but I'm not seeing the same kind of pressure from from other companies no, that Google, do have NFC and Google Android. Google has no attention span. I I I, I, just, I have no desire to pull out my credit card or cash ever again. Do you wear, you I don't, don't wear an it. Apple Watch though? You could use your phone, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just use my phone. I'm happy yeah. using my phone. But I don't want. I have no desire to deal with with cards or cash. Uh, you know, right. as, as as little as possible. I don't. And yet, and yet, I don't see ads for this. I don't see people, you know, really sort of pushing it. Even here in San Francisco, when I go out to buy something, um, you know, not every place has it. It's crazy. It's it's really just. I it seems a, like a so obvious for reducing uh, 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 risk infect the risk of infections. But I went to a Costco I? Um, in California somewhere, and they had a perfect solution. Basically, the 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 protocol was you get out of the car and you you insert your Costco card into the gas tank to get gas. Mm -hmm. Then you get back in your car. And then they have full service. Oh. So the, the attendant touches uh, only the gas stuff. So you touch your stuff and he, oh, they touch their stuff. And you never touch right. the same stuff. Yeah, that worked. Right. I get that so masked well, they, up before I go to a gas station. And I get the hygiene hand, everything, because I don't want to touch anything. Right. I feel like that's the most dangerous thing I do. 
So, you know, so, so it's not it's I, not that people yeah. don't have it on their devices. I mean, like I do know people who have phones that don't have NFC or have older iPhones. Touchless and never not has up, never worked at the gas but, station. I have to point out they have the but, little fish no, it, and the thing and my, it never works. It, it works on my phone. So I'll, I can sit on my motorcycle, take out my phone, reach over, touch the contactless payment on the pump and start filling up. But but what we're but the problem I'm talking about is is that. Not enough endpoints have it, so you're not seeing it in restaurants, which should be using it. We're not seeing uh, it in yeah, restaurants stores, which should be using it. Yeah, and and I don't know if and, and what I think is is that back when uh, we when uh, uh, we started using um, chip cards, uh, the U.S. was very slow to adopt because credit card companies were blocking uh, the adoption of uh, of those cards. Um, because stores didn't want to pay for new readers, and so they, you know, they they didn't want to pay for them either. The, and whoever was going to bear the cost wasn't going to step up. Eventually, we got chip and signature, which was not chip and pin. Um, and and we're and I'm wondering if it's a similar uh, 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 stopping point here, where where we know the technology exists, we know that some stores have it and others don't. But it's not enough of them, and there needs to be this push to really get it out into as many places as possible. It, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's not—it's not happening. Let's take. It's a also break. nice. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Leo. It's also a nice intro to the Amazon uh, store concept <laughs> when we yeah. get back, because that's also yeah. In fact, they're thing. expanding it in an interesting way, which we'll talk about in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. Mike Elgin is here. Seth Rosenblatt. It's great to have Alex Wilhelm. What a panel. Smart, funny, and damn good looking. Our show today brought... <laughs> I don't That's include you, myself Mike. in any of this. <laughs> uh, our show today brought to you by Zendesk. You know the name Zendesk. It's a service-first CRM company that builds software designed to improve customer relationships. We know things are a little weird right now making it hard to keep up with what matters most to your customers. Customers don't go away, and Zendesk is here to help. They're offering, this is a fantastic deal, a six-month complimentary remote support bundle. This is for free for six months. It comes with the essential tools your team needs to stay agile and keep connected with your customers, whether by email, phone, chat, community forum, help center, social media. It's easy to get up and running. You can get it in a matter of hours one day and you're done. You're ready. Zendesk was built on a very simple concept to make customer service software that's easy to use and accessible to everyone with a single dynamic help desk interface. Very simple to implement, but flexible enough that you can modify it as your needs change. So it works right out of the box or it can be configured with your preferences. And by the way, one of the ways people configure it is with the integrations. Man, do they have a lot of integrations. It works with everything. Zendesk is perfect, whether you're a startup or a large enterprise. It'll scale with you as you get going to ensure that powerful, innovative customer experiences are within reach for every company, no matter the size, the industry, or the ambition. Just talk to Ben Chapman. He's Director of Client-Facing Experience and Analytics at Homebridge. He says, having all the customer data in a single place helps us to achieve a high and consistent level of customer satisfaction. We can collaborate better. And we have the visibility to see and report on everything. Zendesk also improves security by allowing us to control access to sensitive content. Another important point. Zendesk works nearly everywhere. More than 150,000 customers across hundreds of industries and over 30 languages. Look, the customer journey differs for everybody. 
But no matter what your business need, Zendesk products are flexible enough to pave the path that's best for your organization. Simple enough. Go to Zendesk.com slash twit to get six-month remote support bundle. Z-E-N-D-E-S-K. Zendesk.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of this week in tech. I do not talk much on the shows, just a little bit I have, about the Earn It Act, which was this backhanded way to get rid of end-to-end encryption by tying it to your Section 230 protections, uh, or the new, uh, much more blatant act to uh, eliminate encryption called LEAD, or L, it's what, L-A-E-D, the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act. Both cases, that they're intended to eliminate encryption. But the reason I don't spend a lot of time talking about it is I don't feel like they're very likely to get passed, or am I just completely wrong? Seth, you probably write about these. Um, yes. Should I be and worried I, about uh, either right. of these? Le- uh, Earn it seems to have been kind of decapitated in committee. It, it seems to have been. Um, it also, you know, wasn't until it was. Right. Um, I think I think one of the problems is is that these these laws which uh which face uncertain opposition um you know it's not really clear who's opposing them except for the usual suspects in congress who fight these kinds of things people like, like ron, ron wyden. wyden right yeah yeah um and what feels more dangerous this time about earn it and i don't know whether to call it lead or late or whatever uh, is that they're tying it to the prosecution? It depends of, if it's present tense or past tense. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they're tying it to the prosecution of CSAM of uh, child sexual abuse material. Right, because uh, assault, assault material. think of the children. You never go wrong yeah. by saying think of the children. Who would, who's in <laughs> favor of so child uh, sex abuse? Not me. Well, we don't know what Trump's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein Actually, was, but good point. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we want to go there yet. No. Um, but uh, but the point being is, is that it's these, a, it, these it, bills has, they, 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 they're, they're, are they out of committee? Did they get voted on? Uh, earn it is out of committee. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they were supposed um, to vote on it a couple of weeks ago, in, but I didn't in, hear anything. Yeah. I think they've. I think they voted it out of committee, and it's moving to the full Senate floor. But it was also just before it got voted out of committee, uh, a, ma- a manager's bill uh, was a, a rider or something was attached to it, and so it's now uh, far more diluted than it was. They took off. Um, for instance, they took out the penalties. They just said right. They just said, you better, <laughs> you right. better do it right. So but what uh, we saw is what we, what we saw is if, if everyone remembers uh, SOPA or PIPA uh, and PIPA, uh, those were fought against and defeated. Uh, SESTA and FOSTA, which was sort through. of the next turn of the screw yeah, of those, yeah, yeah, did get through. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you, when you read the accounts by uh, adult, you know, uh, sex workers, um, they uh, have been harmed by those bills, not helped. Um, uh, earn it is really, uh, or at least as it was, was really bad. Lead is just a straight up attempt to uh, force backdoor access, um, and and that's not going to end well ever uh, because encryption is simply math. Um, you know, and if you if you think of it, 
I don't know if you guys have seen these these face masks that have been going around that have a hole in the middle. So you can <laughs> it's uh, easy to you, breathe. You fit, really, you yes. can fit your straw. You yeah, can fit, you it's know, good. Your, yeah. your, 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 your cigarette or whatever. Yeah. Um, also terrible for for coronavirus. <laughs> so I, I tell people that that these bills are are what they want to do with by mandating a backdoor and encryption is like uh, wearing a mask with a hole in the middle. It's not right. really going to be effective because at some point something's going to get the through it. The out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but what it will that. do is keep Apple and Facebook and Google from providing end-to-end encryption of any kind. Right. So, and the, and and the argument uh, is that you know end-to-end encryption is already in use, uh, often in roll-your-own situations right. by cyber criminals. So they already have this. Um, you're not really uh, doing anything so, more to get at them when you're using encryption that's been uh, intentionally backdoored. My, my real question is, the reason I don't talk about it a lot is I just feel like, it's, is, this, is this security theater or is there actually a chance? I think there might be a chance to get out of the Senate. Both of them are Senate bills. But I don't yeah. think it'll get out of the House. So I do we want to do we want to risk it? I mean, I think I think there have been enough bad uh, uh, tech legislation that's gotten through Congress uh, and signed. Uh, you know, are they going to wait uh, till we're all busy, worried about something else, and just kind of sneak it out like a it, pandemic? I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Right, that seems likely to me. Uh, and another issue, and and one that I that I feel is really important and not being discussed enough is that. CSAM is a serious problem online. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed more and better by, uh, you know, by tech companies. And for too long, it hasn't been. And part of the problem here is, is that, you know, now the people, the, the anti-encryption groups uh, have, uh, you know, a very uh, compelling argument that CSAM needs to be stopped. Everybody agrees with that. Um, and Wyden actually proposed a bill uh, to sort of counter earn it um, that would increase funding to national organizations for prosecuting CSAM, uh, for tracking down these people, for throwing them in jail, um, and for getting aid to the victims. Uh, and fortunately, it doesn't have a clever uh, acronym, so it's, it, it, I can't remember it at the moment. Um, but it's one of those things where this is a bill that may actually help prevent CSAM and it's not being uh, discussed and it's not being um, uh, uh, talked about in, you know, by other news organizations anywhere near as much as it should. Every time we talk about Earn It, we should be talking about this other bill because the idea that stopping CSAM is going to happen when you poke a hole in encryption is, is just silly. I mean, it's not how it works. And to follow along on uh, Mike on your contention that it's the secret stuff you got to worry more about mm-hmm. um i didn't even know this thank you seth for putting this story in the rundown apparently sure. the president has issued what's called a, a presidential finding aka a secret authorization to give the cia more sweeping powers in their international operations who it targets uh undoing a lot of restrictions that have been placed in uh uh, by other administrations, previous administrations, the CIA will now have an uh, easier time authorizing its own covert cyber operations. They don't have to get approval from the White House. Um, th- this is a, what uh, some are calling a very aggressive finding that lets the CIA take the fight offensively to Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Those are specifically mentioned. 
but it could be any any country. Uh, there wasn't a lot of coverage of this story at all. It's no. a navigation no, got... of, uh, of 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 executive uh, authority over foreign policy, basically. Say, you and, do and, it. And, you do it. I don't want to. Do well, it. there there are two ways to abrogate uh, foreign policy. One is that you you know you find out that Russians are paying bounties to kill American soldiers, and you go, well, you know, who cares, whatever, and you move on. That's one way to shirk your responsibility. The other one is the CIA comes to you and says, hey, we want to be able to make all our own decisions. That way you don't have to deal with any of this stuff. We'll just make the decisions and act on our own more than we've been doing. Yeah, go ahead and do that. That's another way to shirk your responsibility. We do want the CIA in specific areas to take the fight, as it were, to to uh, other countries that are um, attacking us with asymmetrical warfare. We want to push back with asymmetrical warfare. Absolutely, but that needs to be, that needs to have um, there needs to be some oversight. Civilian yeah. oversight. Yes. Not just go ahead and do your thing because that's so to how be we clear, get, this happened all that stuff. two years ago, but we're only now, because it was very closely held, we're only now learning, this is a story from Yahoo News, Zach Dorfman, Kim Zetter, Jenna McLaughlin, and Sean Naylor. Uh, this is uh, their scoop because they've seen now this memo. And uh, if this is accurate, uh, this basically gives the CIA free hand to run cyber war without any oversight at all. There's never been a historical example of American three-letter agencies overstepping their authority, so we're right. certainly we fine here. Why are we so concerned? Yeah. They're, they're patriots. That's sarcasm, by the way. I know. <laughs> really? Just some people yeah. wouldn't get it, yeah. so I figured well, I'd so, you know, clarify. So, so one of the interesting things in this story is that this is something that the CIA has been asking for since the Bush administration, um, the second Bush, not the first Bush. Uh, they asked for it under Obama, and, and both times they were denied. Uh, so the, And they were apparently expecting to be denied again uh, because at this point, you know, if a Republican and, and a Democrat say no, why would anything change? Uh, and Trump said yes and signed it. Um, and one of the issues I is that it's not see the CIA guy <laughs> running yeah, home from the White House saying he signed it. He signed it. It works. It works. I can see the I can see the CIA going. Just tell him Obama was against it. Yeah, Obama oh, hated right. this. Well, that, this is a bad well, that may, idea. That, that, may, that may be exactly what happened. I mean, who knows about that? But but you know, the one of the interesting things here is that it's not just going after uh, uh, countries in some kind of nebulous uh, uh, cyber warfare. It's going after critical infrastructure. It's, See, um, and the real risk of that uh, is the escalation like of this kind of cyber warfare because once yep. – so if we're doing it, they can do it, and it just escalates. And yep. uh, honestly, you could talk about the devastation created by nuclear warfare. Fortunately, everybody on both sides kind of understands that and steps back a little bit from it. But I think you can devastate a country just as much, if not more well, the, so, with economic the damage. The hacking tools we that need- we saw used in Stuxnet, uh, which at the time were cutting edge and you know and and you in use only by the Israelis and and uh, the U.S. Uh, since have been found in use elsewhere. That's and bits right. of code from Stuxnet That's made right. it have now made it into commercial malware. Um, these things have you know a a, a very clear trickle down effect and. Uh, can be quite, you know, detrimental uh, within a very short period of time, far beyond um, anything that they were originally intended for. Mike, what were you going to say? 
Well, I, I just think that what we need is is to have our pushback against uh, cyber warfare attacks on us to be part of a strategic program. For example, I'd love to see, I mean, we're just getting our butts handed to us in terms of disinformation from mostly Russia, but also China and other countries are getting into the act as well, because everybody's noticed that, you know, the United States is just an easily influenceable country. And so I would love to see a strategic vision that put a lot of wood behind the arrow of fighting disinformation with information. Yes. So something that fits like more that. with something... the openness that I was talking about. Let's exactly let's pers- pursue that as opposed exactly. to secret cyber warfare. And when you're going to do when you're going to attack uh, infrastructure like a Stuxnet type of attack, I mean, Stuxnet, that was mostly Israeli technology. The U.S. kind of went along with it. It was it was kind of like a Middle Eastern thing and, and uh, you know, going after a specific problem. The, well, also, the Ura- it was seemed reasonable because they were enriching uranium for making the atomic bombs. So we wanted yeah. to stop the Iranians from doing that. The Israelis really wanted to stop the Iranians from doing that. They said, hey, you know what we could do? These are air-gapped centrifuges, but, but we could actually blow them up if we could just get somebody to pick up a USB key and stick it in. And yeah. it worked. What yeah. you don't want is to be just to have this low level, constant attack, anything you can attack, because that leads to all kinds of other problems. You need to have a policy, a strategy, a vision a pro- and a proportionate why response. we attack when yeah. we attack. Yeah. Exact, exactly. Because because if the United States is going to be a global leader in these things, we need to basically try to try to the best we can to set the boundaries and the rules for how these sort of low-level cyber attacks are going to happen. Uh, and g- because if we don't, it's just going to be a free-for-all and chaos. It's going to evolve in a bad way very quickly, and we don't want that. So we haven't mm-hmm. all day talked about the, any of the big companies, Google. talked a little bit about Facebook, but Google, Apple. I've got a Google story that I don't understand, but you guys, you're so global, you're so smart, you'll understand it, and you can tell me why it's why this thing with Geo is a big deal. Mm. But and and you're a finance guy, Alex. Maybe you'll understand too. But first, a word from our sponsor. I was talking uh, to a guy called the Radio Show, uh, saying um, I uh, I use a VPN. A lot of people do at home to protect themselves against. Uh, the snooping of their internet service providers, and I couldn't get on YouTube TV. How do they know I'm on a VPN? I said, there's one way. That IP address has been used by other VPN customers, and as a result, they kind of know that you're on a VPN. There's no way to sniff the traffic. It's from the IP address. What you want is a, a, a VPN service that doesn't reuse those IP addresses in the same way. You want ExpressVPN, which works... Not only with YouTube TV, but with Hulu and Netflix and everything else. ExpressVPN is the only VPN I ever think about. Think about all the times you're at home, surfing the net, and you searched for something that maybe you'd like to keep to yourself. You know, the hemorrhoid cream or whatever. Your internet service provider is sitting there going, he's looking for hemorrhoid cream. Quick, send him some ads. And they are, by the way, legally entitled. They're actually explicitly entitled to sell that information. To make a little extra money because gosh knows you don't pay enough for your internet service. That's why you got to, even at home, even when it's not a security issue, when you're not trying to stay safe at the open Wi-Fi access point, you got to run a VPN. Incognito mode is not incognito. (laughs) Private browsing is not private browsing. Whenever you're at home, whenever you're around 
town, you got to use ExpressVPN. You can trust ExpressVPN. They've had independent third-party audits. They do not log. In fact, they go so far to pre prevent logging. They actually run something called Trusted Server. When you press the button, it's so easy to get use ExpressVPN. Yeah, there's an app for every device, even smart TVs and streaming devices. You press the button. You get on the VPN server. That VPN server spins up in RAM only a copy of the trusted server. That's what you're running through. It's sandboxed. It can't write to the hard drive. It cannot keep track of what you're doing. And then when you leave, when you log off, it disappears. It's RAM only. There is no trace, no trace of your visit to ExpressVPN at all. So your privacy is absolutely protected. I don't care what ISP you're using. I don't care if it's the big boys like Verizon or Comcast, a little one. They all can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN keeps them from snooping on you. It reroutes your internet connection, your DNS, everything through their secure servers. The ISPs can't see the sites you visit. It's all encrypted with the best encryption available. And by the way, you can leave it on because Express, the other thing, ExpressVPN is awesome. And this is because they're a really good company. They have so many servers that they're fast. You can watch HD video. You can watch Netflix. I will go to England to watch Doctor Who on uh, Netflix in England. And, and it doesn't slow down. You can watch it in HD. Very few VPN providers can say that. So much so that I just leave it on. I don't even know it's on. Sometimes I'm surprised. I go, oh, wait a minute, my VPN's on. I, I Apparently I'm emerging on the internet from Belarus. I didn't know that. Sorry about that. All the devices you use... Uh, all of the places you go, ExpressVPN is the way to protect your privacy, to protect your security, to, to expand the TV shows you can watch, to eliminate geographic restrictions, protect your online activity today. It's the number one VPN, not just me. It's, I'm not the only one. CNET said it. Uh, Wired said it. If you look at the webpage, you'll see lots of other places rated very highly everywhere. Protect your online activity today. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Go to ExpressVPN.com slash twit. The best deal, you'll get an extra three months when you sign up for a one-year package that gets it down to about seven bucks a month, a little less. That's the beauty of ExpressVPN. They charge a reasonable amount. I think it's a very fair amount. And that's how they can do it so well. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Thank you very much for your support, ExpressVPN, and for keeping us safe. So. Leo, I'd like to second what you said, and I'm glad you emphasized a couple of points because it's not often emphasized. VPNs have limited capacity, and everybody's suddenly working from home, and some of the lesser VPNs are just groaning under the strain. Yeah. Express, Express VPN, which I just use constantly, I never turn it off. It's just it's just there. I, don't, I forget about it because it's like no performance hit. It, everything's fast. And, and like you say, you can pick a country, any country. So when you're abroad and need to access your bank, which doesn't want you logging into a U.S. bank from another country, you just decide to pop up in the U.S. If you're in the U.S. and you want, you want to access a foreign resource, you pop up in that country. So it's just like brilliant. And for those uh, less technical people who are afraid or have tried other VPNs that are really slow, it's like ExpressVPN is amazing. You just turn it on, say always be running, and then you never have to think about it. I leave it on everywhere. So I yeah. mentioned this story, and we, should, we probably should mention it. Uh, 894 gigabytes of records left on an unsecured Elasticsearch cluster belonging to UFO VPN, which is a Hong Kong VPN, with multiple affiliates. I think there were seven other affiliates. 
uh, UFO, Fast, Free VPN, Super VPN, Flash VPN, Secure VPN, and Rabbit VPN. They do white label VPN service, so you may actually be using them and not know it. They've all claimed that they don't log, but somehow, one, actually, the total amount was 1.2 terabytes of data, including more than a billion log entries many featuring highly sensitive information, just left hanging out in an Elasticsearch cluster. Just, they included websites visited, connection logs, people's names, subscribers' email, home address, plain text, passwords, Bitcoin and PayPal information, messages to support desks, device specifications, account info. And the thing that pisses me off is they all pretend to be no-log VPNs. So... Speaking of uh, uh, the internet creaking under the load, Cloudflare was out for about half an hour. Did you notice any of that this week? This was on tweets. Yeah, July 17th. So that was Friday, right? They were out for 27 minutes. Uh, affecting locations in San Jose, Dallas, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, Richmond. I can go on and on and on. Um, it just shows how much traffic goes through Cloudflare. Cloudflare is widely used by sites for DDoS protection. Uh, for other reasons, we use it for authentication. They have a great authentication service. They're really good. I really love Cloudflare. Um, and apparently, uh, an engineer, uh, while working on a segment of the backbone from Newark to Chicago, updated the configuration on a router in Atlanta to alleviate congestion. Thanks to COVID. Unfortunately, they fat fingered it. And there was an error that caused all the traffic across the backbone to be sent to Atlanta, (laughs) which immediately overwhelmed the Atlanta router. This is John Graham coming, writing for uh, Cloudware and caused uh, Cloudflare network locations connected to the backbone to fail. So if you know, it wasn't cloud, you wouldn't notice it as Cloudflare. You'd notice it as your site loading slowly or in some cases, not at all. Uh, they, I don't, you know, it's too easy to fat finger BGP tables. All of this stuff, we've seen this happen over and over again. There's got to be a better way to do this than have somebody typing in, you know, to Emacs. Uh, let's get that right here. We'll just do the, <laughs> making a mistake. On the other hand, it's, it's, it's just part of the. Uh, the reality of the distribute uh, of, of the, the charming sort of, the charming nature of the internet exactly the, there is no internet it's just right. a bunch of computers uh and so this happens when aws goes down or that has a problem you know it, basically there is no big gigantic ocean it's just a bunch of little ponds that we're all accessing through and one fat finger attack and you know we have a bunch of problems but the, the the plus side is that it's it's not a central – the internet is not centralized. No. And they fix it in 27 minutes. It is, yeah. though, that's part of the problem because it is more centralized because so many people use Cloudflare and so right. many people use Amazon. So there is some centralization happening, which is not good. This is my favorite visualization. This is the Cloudflare traffic conditions. And what you're seeing, green means normal traffic. You see the yellow, orange, and red. That means super huge amount of traffic. That's the Atlanta knock. And then all these white spaces are no traffic. So this chunk... IP not happening. That's nothing happening. This chunk 
got sent to there. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. And I, uh, John's a friend, and I, uh, and I, I, I sympathize. I can imagine what that, what that board looked like as it lit up. Well, it's it, it's like the old joke: the two worst ideas in history are humans and the internet. Yeah, I, I had a third one, which is BGP, because it almost always. Yeah. It's the yeah. border gateway protocol that causes yeah. this. This was, in fact, you know, <laughs> he changed the line that leaked all the BGP routes into the backbone to well, Atlanta. <laughs> and you know what? Financial. You you want transparency. God bless you, Cloudflare. They're actually, this has got not only the picture, this is the text that the guy screwed up. This is good. He, <laughs> yeah. He added a, a, ATL zero. Um. Yeah, BGP is very vulnerable. Go ahead, the financial. Uh, oh, I was just thinking about the, uh, the the hit to the company's share price. So I pulled that up while we were talking to um, the fat finger disaster. Uh, no, it was 1.3%, so effectively nothing. Yeah. So the you, result of this sort of thing isn't really sharp in the financial market. So I think we'll keep seeing similar errors because the penalty, aside from embarrassment, is uh, pretty minimal, it seems. And what it did prove is how many people use Cloudflare. So in a way, in a <laughs> very popular. kind of negative way. Right. So has there been a has there been a study, Alex, of of the impact of uh, uh, tech company mistakes on their on their the the stock for the company long term? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I just in I terms of, of uptime or something else. No, 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 no. Just in ter- in terms of like like when when Elon Musk does something incredibly stupid, like what is the long term impact on on uh, Tesla stock or? You know uh, this latest thing with Twitter. Like, is Twitter stock really going to be uh, be impacted? Because my gut tells me that they don't matter at all. That's correct. But I think the the main answer is the <laughs> revenue stream unchanging means the share price doesn't change because the stock price is just uh, today's estimate of the value of future cash flows. So if those cash flows don't change, nothing really matters. So if Twitter goes down for a day even, it'll make that quarter slightly worse, but the long-term trajectory of the business doesn't really shift. So this is why yeah. Facebook stock isn't really in, under duress during this advertiser kind of like you know blackout surge, whatever you want to call it, uh, because people right. presume they'll all come back and in five years we won't even recall this. So you why why did the so- Rational, Alex. Uh, well, the, I'm trying to make the stock market seem less dumb. Yeah, no, no I mean Tesla at $1,500 a share makes makes Seth's point that things can get a little wild. Um, but I mean, I, I think that investors tend to look at short-term downtime as that short-term downtime, right. as opposed to it doesn't uh, hit, a long financial change. Yeah, right. but there are right. also investors are also emotional, especially more so than ever right now. And so I, yeah. sometimes they yeah. react adversely to something that doesn't seem like it's going to hit the bottom line particularly. But I I agree with that. But also they do the opposite. Sometimes they overpay for things like Tesla. Like Tesla. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not giving investment <laughs> advice, but if you are a fundamentals-minded uh, investor, it's an interesting share price to try to deduce the reasons behind. And I think the real reasons are optimism and retail investors. So Yeah, but remember to for a long time Amazon's P to E was in the hundreds, wasn't it? It was it was abnormally high, and a lot of people said, "Well, you see, that's a t- those are stupid people." I don't think anybody got hurt by an Amazon stock. No, in fact, you would have just been able to buy yourself a house or two if you bought far <laughs> yeah. enough back. Yeah. Um, but there's always an example that makes any sort of caution appear to be bad advice. Oh, and yeah. I don't think that, oh, yeah. that caution is apparently the, the wrong way to approach things. Cloudflare, though, you know, worth ten, eleven billion dollars today, a one percent hit. I think everyone's kind of shrugging this off as one person making an error. And by the but way, Cloudflare, they came back. Incidentally, they're now right. on five percent. So. 
Didn't. If they did this uh, every weekend for That'd six months, they might lose some business. <laughs> right. So they, there's no pattern here other than, you know, Matthew Prince on Twitter having to go out and uh, talk about things publicly Poor quickly. Constantly. Nerds. <laughs> Constantly. Uh, yeah, see, now maybe I was stupid, but I thought, dumb me, that the COVID crisis, that the the shutting down of Main Street America, that the bankruptcy, that the millions of people unemployed, the bread lines. I thought that'll probably hit the stock market. So I got out of the stock market back in, I think, February or March. That was a dumb move. I guess I was yeah. too cautious. Who knew? Bread, li bread lines, Leo. People are lining up for bread. <laughs> it's good news. Buy yes. bread stock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do find it very funny as a, as a markets observer lately that every time there's a rumor of a vaccine somewhere out in the future, shares Ooh. just surge. People and whenever really are bullish about America. Yep. yep. And whenever there's a 1.3 million new unemployed this week, the stock market goes, eh, you know, it's going to be fine. I, I've I've lost my uh, ability to kind of figure out what's yeah. going on. So I'm just sitting back, you know, with yeah. the metaphorical martini watching. Yeah. Yeah, well, I am now in a pile of cash yeah. and a big tax bill. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you played yourself, Leo. I'm so I excited. did. I played myself. I still, this way I don't have to look at the returns all the time. And I should mention right. just to reassure everybody, I never buy individual stocks because I'm not smart enough to do that. I, I, I buy the dumbest, I buy index stocks. I buy the dumbest thing I could buy, you know, so I don't me have too. any, any uh, dog in this hunt. So... Having established my pro bonos, or no, my bona fides, or some Latin phrase, um, uh, in terms of investing, I am puzzled, and I don't even know if it's a big story, but Google just bought a big chunk, a giant chunk, and they're not the only American company to do so, in GEO, J-I-O, which is, I think, the most valuable company in India, right? Reliance. Well, the, the owner is company. the most rich, is the richest person in India, uh, Mukesh okay. Ambani, and um, yeah. So, so this is a company that is really it's like a four year old company or something like that, and they're they're just kicking butt in terms of offering what the Indian market really really wants, which is uh, reasonably good quality, very low priced internet uh, connectivity, and they're just they're just a rocket ship, and so Facebook. Uh, invested in them. A bunch of American companies did. Now Google is. And But they, to me, the most interesting thing is that they're actually going to work with Google to develop an India-specific, presumably India-specific, version of Android that will facilitate the low-cost um, distribution of a version of Android that does access the Play Store and does support 5G. So this is actually probably a very good thing for the Indian market. It's not the investment because they've got plenty of investment. It's the partnership with Google that will result in a better version of Android. So Reliance Industries, which is uh, India's most highly valued firm, 10% now owned by Facebook. They put in $5.7 billion in April. Uh, Google just put in $4.5 uh, for a 7%, 8% stock. Uh, Google makes more – well, I guess they both make sense. Google making their own version of Android for Geo makes a lot of sense, I think. 
Um, I think it's about access, Leo. So, you know, when I think about companies putting a lot of money into Geo, which is the subsidiary of Reliance, uh, it's just the kind of the mobile telecom version. It's 360, 380 million subscribers. Um, if you want to have access to the Indian market because you think that you need to keep growing your revenues globally, uh, having a stake and therefore maybe a bit of a say or some protection from the most important wireless carrier is critical, especially after Facebook pulled the trigger on its deal back in April. Now everyone's scrambling to put money into the company. Right. It's not just these two groups. It's many other people trying to get a piece of this uh, for two reasons, upside and then, of course, access. I mean, if Facebook is not going to play particularly fair in India, uh, if it can use its uh, ownership to box out rivals, so now everyone has to have a piece for safety. Also, we spent a lot of this show talking about China and the lack of access to that market. Well, India is 1.3 billion people. Yep. And so you probably want to make sure you have a big open door to all of those folks. And so it's, it's about access. It's about partnerships. It's about money as well. It's probably the most interesting story in tech today that isn't a crisis. I feel like everything else we talk about is about it's, a crisis. It's this is just the world. Yeah. Yeah. This is optimistic. This is about the future of having many more people on the internet in some capacity. And so in one way it's fun, uh, but I think it's also very strategic and the money is used here to buy um, bargaining chips. Right now, uh, Google, the geo phones use Kai OS or Kaios, uh, which is kind of a, it's not a smartphone. It's not a feature phone. It's kind of in between. It does run apps, including WhatsApp and YouTube and Facebook and Google Maps. Uh, Google is an investor in Kios, so they have you know some stake in that. But I, it makes sense for Google to put what sounds like a lot of money, $4.5 billion into Reliance Geo. Uh, but that's a pittance for Google, especially to get them into that market and to get Android on those Kios. Uh, phones so and it, money well and, spent and this, has yeah. been, this has been a long time uh desire of google to get android working on cheaper phones on cheaper hardware and get it functioning as if android normally would and if they can pull this off with india then suddenly a whole bunch of other markets uh, especially those in africa uh, become more open to to google in a way that they're not open to apple in in a way that you know uh facebook hasn't really been investing the only other major investor that I'm aware of over there has been uh, China. Um, so if Google here is proxy for the U.S., uh, that's probably a good thing geopolitically. And maybe Google was attracted because Geo has something called Geo Glass. <laughs> which, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that's a throwback. <laughs> which, which, by the way, is their second like uh, virtual reality slash augmented reality product. Right. Um, they, they dumped the first one because it just wasn't going to work, and this one isn't going to work either. But it's clear that they have a lot of money to throw around because of all the investment, and it's clear that they know what is true, which is that augmented reality, virtual reality, et cetera, is going to be gigantic, including in India. Yeah. Walmart, also a big investor in an Indian company. Uh, I think a lot of American companies see this as a – as the as a big growth opportunity, so thank you for explaining that, Alex. I now well, understand. I, it's a it's a cool moment, Leo. It's, I'm glad we're talking about the story on this show because I do think we have an American focus here in the U.S. and we should, we forget we that we are a relatively small country in terms of population compared to several. And so the we stories do. that start over there could really impact us over here later on. So keep an eye on Geo if you're listening to the show. Uh, Apple joining a list of companies eliminating uh, racist terms. In their language, GitHub eliminated the master branch. Um, the Linux kernel community has decided not to use blacklist, whitelist, master, and slave in their terms. They're going to replace them with, frankly, terms that are more descriptive. Uh, 
I mean, right. blacklist and whitelist isn't nearly as good as deny list and allow list. That makes a lot more sense. It tells you a lot more about what it is. We're just, sure. and the thing is, we're so inured to it because we've used those terms for so long. We forget that they are offensive to a large portion of the world. And um, blacklist, whitelist is one thing, but uh, master and slave is really pretty bad. But host or controller and client, you know, those are more descriptive. I'm, I am happy to see that. Twitter's doing the same thing. Um, I have a little more problem with the master branch because I don't think it's master slave. Uh, we, we talk about mastery and mastering something. Is that the same? I guess it's the same root. Different use. It, there, there are lots and lots of words that were associated with slavery. One of them is even even more sort of out there is plantation, which uh, is being objected to. My own view is that you know this is one of the ways that language evolves. So there, there those of us, you know there are lots of us who have the luxury of not being offended by words like plantation and master, etc. But there are a lot of people for whom they lots and lots of people who hear those words and they just cringe. And since the truth is we don't care that much right. and they do care, I yeah. say, let's change it. Let's do it. And, and yeah. yeah, but, but as a, as somebody who was born in Los Angeles County, let me give a shout out to Los Angeles County. Cause this is like a trendy thing right now because of black lives matter, but Los Angeles County was demanding that computer suppliers in 2003, not use the words master and slave for their technology Good. products in Good. any way. Good. And so a shout for Los Angeles County that was way, you know, 17 years ahead on this. Yeah. And, and I think not, you could not be a racist and kind of be unconscious about it. So I think it's okay to to bring it up because it, it is hurtful to people, to a lot of people. And there's no reason okay. to use hurtful language if you can find something that is not only not hurtful, but actually technically more descriptive. So and there's nothing. The there's no that, reason to cling to these terms. Who cares? Right. Who cares? Exactly. So two points I want to I want to bring up that are, are related to this. One is is that um, uh, while most of what I've seen of the infosec community's discussion of this on Twitter has been fairly reasonable, um, with some debate about uh, white and blacklist versus allow or block list and things like that. Um, there's also there was also one uh, Google uh, security person who was going to speak at Black Hat, which is the uh, big. Yeah, what are they uh, going to call Black Hat now? Well, so th that's really interesting because uh, it looks is it like bad they're not hat? To <laughs> right. And 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 so one Google executive said that he wasn't going to speak, um, which actually uh, created a, a bit of backlash from uh, some infosec people. Who pointed out that for one thing, nobody who is a uh, by POC uh, infosec person was really calling for that change at Black Hat, um, and for another, uh, <laughs> and, and really the bigger point is is that while this changing of terminology is important, and there are people who are arguing for it, what's really important is making sure that these tech companies uh, start uh, implementing much better diversity programs that's uh, a have good much point. better pay scales yes. right. and and really uh you know these hr departments that are protecting companies and preventing them from moving forward need to you know get on the ball and and really start uh diversifying uh in these organizations and and making them fair it's not enough to just bring in by poc uh, you also have to make sure that the environment is going to uh, set everybody up for success, um, not just you know the white men who've already been there. Absolutely. 
And I think and that I want to nominate to be- Bad Hat because in French, yeah, bad hat. <laughs> in French, Bad Hat is exactly what you know. Th- this was a ki- book right. I read to my child when they were little. Madeline in the Bad Hat. And it was about a bratty kid. He was a bad hat. So. Now, I don't know what you're going to call white hat. Good hat? <laughs> Good hat. Yeah. Fantastic hat. Maybe we just Best need hat. a whole new name for that conference. <laughs> I mean, the, the idea of, of, of white and black as... Uh, bad and good. good that's bad, really... Good and bad. That's goes bad. goes back much further, yeah. uh, I think, than... Does it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It doesn't have race or, origins. It has more to do with, like, the darkness of night. Okay. And, and yes. you know, it was, it was a black and stormy night and et cetera. But it doesn't matter because because these because words have connotations. Words imply things. Power. Words and have so, power. Yeah. I, I just wonder what they're thinking at Red Hat. <laughs> uh, I think Red Hat's okay. Unless you're a commie. Until the, yeah, you know. Or, I mean, or blue hat. I mean, Microsoft has its blue hat uh, uh, hacker thing. So. Maybe we should ban hats. No more hats. Who wears hats anymore, anyway? I mean, I, I did today because I was out in the sun, but I want to point out how broad this is going. Like, uh, Leo's from Rhode Island, where I now currently live, and Rhode Island used to be called the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantation. It officially pretty... still is, my friend. And get I was about it right. to clarify. Yes. yes. Uh, there's yes. been an executive order to pursue a name change, but I'm, I'm amazed at. Yes, Gina has signed that. They better so not. Gonna, by the way, Gina, great governor. You are lucky because you are living in a state that is practically COVID-free thanks to a brilliant governor there. And due to and the fact that I've been at home for five months. That yes. you are no longer the super spreader you once were. No. Uh, but I'm excited <laughs> to see the name. Like that the was name his nickname, Alex change. Super Spreader Wilhelm. But I don't Le- think it had to do with COVID. <laughs> I'm being defamed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I'm just saying that as we talk about this insider technology, it's happening all over the country in other ways as well. So it's not like we're singling out tech and saying tech is oh, bad, tech the needs name to change. Because plant- of plantation. Yeah, Providence plantation's pretty pretty onerous there. But there were no slaves I mean, it, in Providence in Rhode Island. But that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure of the history on that one. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think there were. Were from there? My American I think Roger days. Williams I'd, I'd was have, not into to... the slave thing. I sit my memory of it. But you know what? I stand corrected if that's not true. It's it's difficult because I think I would love to see us for the future um, uh, change all these terms, um, but I, but I hope we're forgiving about the culture of the past. I'm re- I'm reading the original Wizard of Oz right now. Yes, and um, and in this book, which was written, I believe, published, I believe, are in you, 1901. Are you reading that like to that. Princess Squishy Face, or is this for your own? I started to, but she really likes the movie better. And she's bothered by the differences. So I, I kind of backed off on reading it to her. Maybe in the future I will. Um, it, lots and lots of differences. But basically one of the, the – it's very – everybody is uh, very color-centric in terms of their clothing in that book. And so the way you know the difference between right. a good witch and a, and a bad witch is that Color. the good witches all wear white yeah. and the bad witches all wear black. And this is the kind of thing that you'll find throughout culture and history, these references to black being associated with badness and white being associated with goodness. And so, I, you know, I hope we don't attack the past in this way in terms of language and culture. Um, but I would like us to see us fix the future. And I do stand corrected in my memory. I actually I think was blanking it out. But the slave trade w- was very active in Rhode Island. Um, yes. It's not part Until of the uh, state's history. Yeah, I forgot all about that. In fact, Brown University, uh, John Brown, the founder of Brown University, was a slave trader. 
So, yeah, I forgot all about that. It was part of the triangle trade. Yeah, it's not not great. Yeah. Uh, but we can always do better. I think I think Mike makes a perfectly fine point. We don't need to go back and uh, with a pair of scissors take out all the words. We still read Mark Twain, uh, which one of his books is a pretty famous example of how language uh, looks pretty bad in retrospect. Um, but I think I think we can only not do that if we devote ourselves to making a better future and saying, okay, cool. We used to do that. Yeah. Now we know better. Yeah. Now we're going to do better. And uh, honestly, and I, I think it's a words are a starting point, but we got a, a lot more work to do in other, in more concrete ways. And, yes. uh, and, and I think for instance, diversity in these companies, uh, is really important and it will help solve I, I, this problem. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you, one of the places and when, when I was at Twitlio, we did a big show on diversity and gender in um, in tech companies, and basically our panel made it very clear that this all begins with education and universities and stuff like That's that. Right, yeah. And 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 I was very happy to hear what I thought was a big piece of news uh, coming out from my alma mater, which is uh, I went to UCLA. But the UC systems uh, incoming freshman class is the majority of them are Hispanic. Awesome. And. And so this is like, you know, you talk about putting your money where your mouth is. Everybody's always talking about, oh, we need more diversity. We need this. We need that. The California State University system exists as a place to have to give a high quality university education to Californians who, um, for one reason or another, are being de denied that, that, that edu education elsewhere. And in fact, you know, the, the it, it, in terms of the college age population in California, the majority is Hispanic now. And for the University of California to represent that majority, they don't quite meet the, the, the same percentage as the population itself, but they're approaching it. That's a huge mm -hmm. deal. And I hope that yeah. is also reflected in engineering schools as, as well, because because one of the big we talk about who's underrepresented, who's overrepresented in technology. Probably one of the biggest groups that's underrepresented is Hispanics in in technology. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and so and so this is I think this is a, a big deal. And technology industry, Silicon Valley, it can be done. You can do this. Look at the University of California. It's just a matter of time. It might have already happened before California in California. Anyway, uh, whites are a minority. Um, I don't know if it's happened yet, but I, I know it's demographically soon. Uh, not that I bothers me in the least, honestly. Uh, let's take a little break. When we come back, uh, we're going to say farewell to a friend of the network and uh, a friend of geeks uh, everywhere. But first word from our sponsor, the people who buy us this beautiful studio, the LastPass Studios. Uh, of course, our friends at LastPass, keeping us safe for more than a decade. In fact, it's exactly a decade ago that Steve Gibson... So I've been using LastPass for a few years. And I've been singing its praises to Steve Gibson. And about it was exactly 10 years ago that he talked to Joe Segrist, the creator of LastPass. Joe showed him the code, explained what they did. And Steve was super impressed, did a whole show on it, a whole Security Now on it, and started using it. Steve's been using it ever since for a decade uh, because it's done right. It's secure. It's done right. Uh, we started using LastPass Enterprise in the business because we realized all well and good if – People uh, who work here know about security and password, but we have a lot of people in the business office and others who maybe don't have the same understanding or maybe reusing passwords or maybe putting passwords on Post-it notes on their screen. And those people have, by 
virtue of their job, access to our most important data, our, you know, everything, our websites, our databases, our bank accounts. So we decided, you know, we better use LastPass at work. It is a challenging time for your IT department. Very big job right now. There's more devices. People are bringing their own. There's more applications. And people are going home to work. So they're not even working on your company network anymore. Add that to new threats, new regulations. Strong security has gotten harder than ever. Fortunately, LastPass is here to be your partner, to provide your IT with strong security, both easy to use and easy to manage. Both are important. If employees don't like LastPass, if they don't find it easy, then there's no point in using it. They do. They love it. If IT can't manage it and get centralized control, then you're not doing the security job you need to. LastPass secures every entry point from shadow IT to apps to mobile and cloud services. The key here is their access solutions give you, the IT department, visibility and control over every access point to your organization. With employees using their own devices, their own phones, they're at home. Suddenly you lose track of who's using what where. But LastPass Identity solves this. It offers a simple integrated view across every access and authentication task. So you can see who's accessing what, when they're accessing it, where they are. That's the information you need to keep your stuff safe. Too bad Twitter didn't know about that. Increase security without increasing productivity. Your employees will love it. Things like single sign-on, which makes it, you don't even use a password. It's just easy. Uh, Multi-factor authentication, adding contextual factors to fingerprint and face recognition. Things like geolocation, IP addresses, reduces friction and prevents threats better. It's kind of the holy grail in security. More convenient and more secure? Is that even possible? It is. And, of course, passwords, which are the number one vulnerability in the world right now, LastPass's password management is the best. It secures all those passwords, generates them. You don't have to think about it. It lets employees do their work securely, whether they're in the office or working from home. When employees want to share passwords, they don't have to make phone calls, send, send emails with your password in it, text messages. LastPass has secure password sharing built right in. And, of course, I don't need to say it, but LastPass follows the best security practices, 256 AES uh, encryption. Uh, they they never transmit the password back to LastPass. They don't know your password. Only you do. Data is only decrypted on your devices. And by the way, every device, everywhere you want to be, Android, iOS, Mac, Windows, Linux, every browser, it is the best. It's what I use it's what Steve uses. It's what we've recommended for years. Secure your business, plus give your IT department the tools they need to keep your business safe. Visit lastpass.com slash twit to find out how they can help your business stay productive and secure. No matter where your employees are working from, lastpass.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech and uh, the studio naming rights. I feel like we're you know, a football stadium or something. Um, it's kind of a shock. And uh, I was very sad to see Grant Imahara, who was just, if you watch Mythbusters, of course, you know how great Grant was, passed away suddenly at the uh, from an aneurysm at the age of 49. Uh, I will never forget Grant coming to the Brick House back in 2013 for a triangulation episode. Uh, 
I the first thing I knew is people were going, Grand Amahara is here. It's Grand Amahara. But he was so unassuming, so sweet, so normal. He was friendly. He said hi to everybody. Uh, I didn't get to do the interview. I was jealous because uh, I, as actor, uh, got to do the interview. But I did get to talk to Grant, and everybody just was so impressed by him. He was such a sweet guy, and it's such a loss uh, to the geek community. He was a professional engineer. I did not know this. I probably should. But he designed, rebuilt R2-D2 for the prequels and was one of three operators uh, during the movies. He was amazing. He built the um, the robot that uh, uh, Craig Ferguson used. Jeff Peterson? Who's that? The robot's name was Jeff Peterson? That's a pretty mundane <laughs> name for a robot. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, the uh, robot that Craig Ferguson... G-E-O-A. Oh, well, that, that makes it all, all, the, all the better. Jeff Peterson. <laughs> anyway, Grant Imahara, surprise, shocking, uh, uh, passed away at the age of uh, 49. A really talented electrical engineer, roboticist, and, of course, myth buster. He will be missed. Um, I don't want to end with such a sad note. Oh, I, I could play a promo. That'll cheer us up. I forgot all about it. A little movie <laughs> celebrating the week. A little promo to cheer up. A little promo up. cheers me up. I don't know about you. <laughs> Dvorak always said it was a house ad. Previously on Twit. Happy birthday to Jeff Jarvis. Oh, my God. It's a giant taco cake. Taco cake. Windows Weekly. We are really stuck on the window side with a compatibility problem that we can't get past because it's business customers rely on stuff from the 1980s or 90s or whatever it is. They just can't do it. And that is a problem ARM does not solve. Tech News Weekly. Twitter experienced its worst hijacking to date. What was interesting about this was that it was so big. I mean, it was like so many different high-profile accounts that it immediately seemed like an inside job. Hands-on tech. I am going to show you my favorite dock for the Mac. It's the CalDigit Thunderbolt Station 3 Plus, and it is incredible. This Week in Google. Instead of having one of those Amazon grab-and-go stores near you, what if every store had an Amazon grab-and-go shopping cart? It's called a dash cart. You don't have to scan things. You just throw them in. When you are done shopping, you take the cart through a special lane. It's just like fast track for your shopping, and you're done. Twit. For help with the technology addiction problem, call 1-800-TWIT. <laughs> I don't like these kind of masks because they make my ears stick out. And I don't like to look, look weird. <laughs> That's what I wore to the grocery store. Actually, I look even weirder now because I have a, a, dentally, a dental 3D printed, uh, what they call a fitter. That was 3D modeled by my face that holds the mask in place so that it's sealed. So now I look like I'm wearing a muzzle. I look like Hannibal Lecter. But I'm safe. So you did you want to talk about that grab-and-go cart, uh, Mike? I thought you mentioned that earlier. Well, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, of course, Amazon owns um, – they own Whole Foods, which is a pretty big uh, grocery chain store. And they're intending to, to sort of roll out their – concept stores that include originally they're called amazon go which are tiny little markets where you just go in and you shoplift 
and then they charge you anyway. You just grab whatever you want. That's an interesting take. <laughs> okay. And it's what's what's fascinating about it is that they have these go, they have these carts that are they basically have almost no capacity because almost all of the space of the car yeah, is you taken saw up how small that looked in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. They're so small, in fact, that their that their Woodland Hills, I think it is, uh, store where they're going to roll this out uh, near Los Angeles, they're going to offer both carts. So if you only want a couple of things, you can get the high tech cart. But if you're going to get a normal shopping load, well, just get the old old fashioned thing and do the checkout the normal way. But the, but the but their dash carts, they're called, um, actually allow you the the best part is they allow you to weigh the produce that you're buying in the cart. Oh, so they have scales. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And you can't film too high. Otherwise, the cameras and all the all the sensors can't tell what you're buying. That That's the whole point. You load, you, you put some products in this cart and it says, oh, we know what you're buying. We know who you are. We'll just charge you for this stuff when you walk out. So it's kind of a cool concept. But I think that they have many years to go before this is kind of a mainstream thing that can roll out into all the Whole Foods. And I just think that, you know, during a pandemic, it's actually kind of ideal. You sterilize the handle of the cart. And then you just you never interact with a cashier, you never swapping credit cards, any of that stuff. It's all just charge your Amazon credit card, uh, the same one you use for you know your Prime account or whatever. Um, it's pretty it's it's pretty cool that we're trying to figure out this technology. But like all of these things that require kind of AI and image recognition, which includes self driving cars. It's going to take a lot longer for us to really nail this than we think it is. Yeah. And I think that they're little tiny carts that only allow you to get a couple of items is a perfect example of how you have a super aggressive company that's trying to make this mainstream. But they're really clearly not ready for the way Americans buy groceries, which is in large quantities. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, most Americans don't even use shopping carts. They use those giant pallet trucks. And, That's right. And they're, load everything on. Trucks, yeah. Basically. And load everything on. But I, I give Amazon a little more credit. They will evolve this quickly. I think that, the, look, it's pretty clear Jeff Bezos wants to own every possible market. Uh, yeah. But we've all used the self-checkouts at Safeway or oh, name self-checkouts. And used they are the worst thing in the world. Yeah, right. used them once. Yeah. And they're static. Yeah. This has to work on wheels, which means it has to have a connection and cameras that don't get blocked and so many things. This to me looks like uh, – remember when Amazon showed off the drone deliveries that still haven't happened like five years ago and got an amazing press run out of that? Uh, this feels that like five that. five years ago? Yeah, Charlie Rose. <laughs> At got, least. It, it, yeah, he got fooled. It, and, it's, and it's terrible when you try to buy alcohol just as, a, as, as one point. Because you still have to go interact with a cashier. Right. You so have if to you're prove trying to use this to do anything yeah. that any normal adult would want to go do, uh, except for you know our sober friends, uh, it's it, it winds up being a bigger hurdle because they have to, you have to find a cashier. I think it's you telling get them to that Seth says, yeah. no. "Well, yeah, but you just can't buy alcohol." <laughs> <laughs> I just want the ability to buy alcohol without inter interacting but, with a human but being. Honestly, much if this cart were in Europe, the Europeans would say, well, it's so big. How am I supposed to fit it? <laughs> it's yeah. giant. Well, I brought my Europe, string bag. Europe needs it badly. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and one of the biggest chains there is Carrefour, which is a, a UK yeah. company. And, and in Carrefour's, you have to actually wait in line to weigh your produce. Oh, that's silly. <gasps> One item at a time. So if you, you buy six or seven or eight produce items, that's six or seven or eight times that you have to wait in line to wait. Wait a minute. You can only weigh one thing at a time? 
Well, no, I mean, you typically would. Like, you can't go with, like, a whole bunch of things. You get oh. stink eye. Uh, from people who who are also waiting in line. So See, one item a line or less. Exactly. <laughs> then you go wait in line to check everything out. Jeez, oh, so it's, it's a horribly. They would yeah. love. They don't this, get grocery stores. Technology. No. That's because you're supposed to go British out every TV. night and carefully pick everything for that day's dinner, and that's it. And that's and then you'll shop again tomorrow. You're not supposed to be yeah, loading that, up. That works in little tiny uh, uh, French towns, and it's a beautiful thing. But when you're in Barcelona. Yeah, where, no, yeah. You know, where every time quiet. you go out the door, you're at risk of getting pickpocketed. That's right. <laughs> All right, cheer you up. I got to cheer you up. Here are the new emoji arriving on iOS and Android later this year with uh, the new versions of iOS and Android. Google's bringing back the little mushy turtle that we all <laughs> didn't miss. <laughs> What's the first thing? That is either uh, streamers or jellyfish. I don't know. Wedding bells. Aliens. Oh. It might be wedding bells. That's this is the this is the um the the problem is the way this works. Friday was a uh, World Emoji Day, which Jeremy Brook just yeah. made up. <laughs> but, but more power to you, Jeremy. We love you. Um the problem is that every company all the Unicode consortium does is give you a description and a reference that nobody uses, then every company draws their own. So these are Google's images. Like, what is, I don't know. These are terrible. What is that a tamale? But what the hell's in it? That's a tamale. But what's in it? It looks like is it little a chocolate like tamale. <laughs> Beans. <laughs> Google's artists are challenged. Maybe they don't go outside. They don't I go do out. like the hug, though. The Look at Apple. Nice. Yeah, the hugs, it's nice, except it's weirdly amorphous blue blobs that are hugging, not humans. Well, we're all out of shape because of COVID. That's they don't have any accurate. fingers. So no. I like apples. When you go to Apple, they, now look how nice these are. Those lungs look like they really are lungs. <laughs> and, the, and the tamale has actual tamale filling instead of, I don't know what, rat Circular droppings. things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I worried about the beaver one. That's going to be used for a sexual reference. Uh, look at this quarter. It says the crazy ones on it. Isn't that cool? Dodo huh. bird. Babushka doll, pinata, boomerang, a good-looking ninja. Yeah, the beaver. Love the beaver. Is, is the is the Italian one offensive? The j- uh, hand gesture. The hey. hand gesture. Yeah. Hey, it's pinched fingers. What's suggestive about that? I, don't I think know. every well, Italian hand, hand the gesture, the every single good. one, means your wife is sleeping around on you. I think that's pretty much they all. <laughs> They all mean the same well, thing, don't now they? Now it's offensive, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> you've, just, you've just made it worse. It's the sign of the cuckold. Every one of them is the sign of the cuckold. There's the Google turtle. E- e- wait, wait, that, Leo. Even great. the boba tea is the sign of the cuckold? They all really? are. That's basically all Italians think about is, is my I, wife I sleeping around on Google me? tamale. It's, it's boba It's a boba balls. tamale. Of, oh, I see. It's a boba tamale. It, they're using the same circular objects. Hell with the Google people. Oh, there's a bubble. Yeah, they want reuse the boba tea. By the way, I've I always thought these were like tapioca or something. They're cornstarch. That's uh, disgusting. Okay. Yeah, it's horrible. That pinch Everything is better. That looks like that uh, gourmet going. It's yeah, fantastico. It, Google's is better than Apple's. Yeah, Apple's really does look like. <laughs> I don't want to say. <laughs> Mushy turtle though is lovely. I love that turtle. Yeah, like, I'll use the turtle. 
Yeah. Mike, like don't make us think mascot. it's sexually suggestive. That'll just be upsetting to me. Yes, it is a upsetting. Cute turtle. <laughs> <laughs> the last half hour of Twit is always so interesting. It's like conversation, conversation, hey, conversation. And then hey, Italian your wife is asleep so around. Out. I'd like to see the whole range of Italian hand gestures. <laughs> you know, the, the flicking below the chin. And oh, the, yeah. Like, you know, all of I love it. I love it. By the way, I lo- I'm a part Italian. I love Italians. If I could, I would be living in Italy. Um, so I don't mean to say that in any way disparaging. Um, I'll never forget though, we were in uh, Portofino and we were trying to go from one town to another on a very thin road. And some guy in a truck was taking up too much of the road and our driver stopped the car, got out of the car, slammed the door and got in a fight with the driver of the truck in front of us. Like that's going to fix the traffic jam. And there was a lot of this. With yeah. the hands. It was a lot It wasn't a fight, though. They don't usually fight. They argue and scream at each other. Oh, they other. were yelling. But you're right. There was no fist, no no, no punches thrown. We could use more argument in the U.S. because uh, in the U.S. they tend to actually be fights where it's like right. you drag people out of the car and all well, that Well, you know, that's what we do. We go, we go passive-aggressive until it's so suppressed for so long that all we could do is blow our stacks and kill somebody. When, I, when Amira and I were on a honeymoon, we were in Rome, and we got we called a cab. The, a cab came to the hotel, picked us up. We drove like 20 miles, and the cab we actually called was chasing our cab because we had called him, and another <laughs> cab picked us up. And they got out, and they argued for like 20 minutes. And then our driver came back and said, you have to go with him. <laughs> he lost. I lost. He lost. And we I get lost. in his cab, and the meter's uh. like tripping. <laughs> That's Italy. I love Italy. What yep. year was that? Man? That was 1987. Okay, I'm not trying to date you. I'm just curious the date of the story because it's it's uh, it's an interesting anecdote. I wonder if that would still happen today, like the Uber age. You know? Oh, it might. Right. Like, Uber has fixed a lot of things. All right. Is uh, Uber allowed in Italy? Wait a minute. No, no, not. we're not allowed in Italy for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose I should do this story because it's a huge story and I accidentally let it uh, go to the end. But uh, uh, this is Shrems 2, which is uh, a <laughs> – this is why I didn't do this story. It's complicated. The Court of Justice in the uh, European Union has struck down uh, the flagship – uh, data flow arrangement between the United States and the EU called Privacy Shield. This was something that was supposed to cut through the problems with European customers of American companies' data and where it's held. Um, the idea was Privacy Shield would balance the requirements of U.S. national security, public interest, law enforcement, and the privacy rights of uh, citizens of the EU. And the court said, it's no good. You got to go back. So this has been going on. You know what? I'm sorry I even brought it up. It's been going on since like 2013. Shrems 2 succeeded Shrems 1. It's called Shrems because of a privacy activist in Europe named Max Shrems. And it was his complaints that uh, started this whole legal snafu rolling. This is on TechCrunch and I don't understand it. It's complicated. <laughs> it means that companies uh, like Facebook and Microsoft and others are going to deal with this for some time to come. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, one of one of the issues it raises, uh, not directly, I think, but in in sort of the long term, is uh, where companies can store their data, right. and if they can store data uh, wherever they have, you know, uh, a site, or if it has to be specifically in that country, uh, the way that China mandates that its data must be accessible and so on. Um, uh, I think that this is going to put a big damper on uh, how companies develop. Um, and it's going to lead to the ongoing and, and ever growing balkanization of the internet. Um, if Bulgaria, you know, with, you don't know, 5,000 people in it decides that you need to hold all of their data in Bulgaria, um, that sets a very bad precedent. Uh, and I don't know, know, I don't know how you, how you get around that. Right. Um, all right. That's enough. I gave it, I paid it lip service. (laughs) That was your best shot, Leo. Two out of 10. Good job. Uh, I don't want to make the end of the show be the EU court decision docket. Uh, I could mention emojis that, yeah, let's go back to emojis, please. uh, Apple won in court because remember they had a deal with Ireland and then Marta Vestager in the EU said, no, 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 that's illegal. Apple, you owe 14, almost $14 billion to uh, Ireland, which they're going to give to us. The court said, no, no, that was a legit deal. Apple does not owe that tax. So big victory, big celebration in Cupertino. Uh, I think we should wrap this up because God knows it's been going on long enough. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Seth is uh, the man in charge, the founder, editor-in-chief of an excellent publication for anybody who cares about security, the parallax.com. Seth Rosenblatt is at Seth R on the Twitter. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you, Wolverine. <laughs> we appreciate it. Oh, you just need to get your eyebrows a little pointed up. Uh, you're, 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 yeah, they're, 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 they're gray, but... They're, yeah, that's the there. only problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to see you, Seth. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Alex Wilhelm, yeah. my love to Eliza uh, and your wonderful... Uh, plantation there in providence i that's the plantation i grew up on it's beautiful <laughs> are you in the backyard is that where you yes, built I'm that in a, i'm in a small building in the backyard um, built an outhouse. and uh without the ac on it's a greenhouse so i have become sweat on this oh, show i've just you look now cool, liquid calm water. and collected and, and and your entire book collection's out there so that's nice. Yeah, finally we've all we have a wall of built-in so i nice. put all the books love in one that. place which Don't is you love that? nice to have yeah always my goal uh, things going well at TechCrunch? Yes, sir. Uh, TC is doing lovely. I'm also on a podcast called Equity, if you're into the financial side of tech, which is what we dork out about that. But uh, Leo, as always, thanks for having me on This Week in Tech. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Mike Elgin, he's grounded for the nonce, but that's good for us. We get to talk to him uh, more often, elgin.com, uh, at Mike Elgin. Yep. And when we get to travel again, gastronomad.net, uh, so that you can go out and eat the foods of the world in the countries where they were created we are we are we have full bookings for next year or not they're not all full but we have lots of uh experiences for next year so if you want to plan next year's travel uh check us out gastronomed.net and uh uh we have uh we we added a second provence experience in the summer next year oh boy I love uh, because provence. the first one filled up and so yeah. if you want to go to provence provence and- morocco oaxaca barcelona you're going back to barcelona huh Oh yeah, oh, I absolutely. Love, I just I miss Barcelona. I love that city so much. All of these cities are my favorites. Prosecco, Mexico City. 
Uh, go we actually to- learned that our style of travel is actually very conducive to people who are concerned about viruses and things like that because we stay in a small group. In the case of the Barcelona, we're actually in the Cava growing wine country outside oh, of Barcelona we, where we stay okay. and make surgical strikes into places. So it's actually very conducive to the post-pandemic world. Um, when are you hoping and, uh, to get back uh, in the saddle? Uh, it'll it'll be like March, okay. April, something like that. And yeah. we'll have a Morocco experience, uh, which is already booked. Um, and, you know, we're going to do the whole lineup uh, next year. We've postponed all of the ones that we we're going to do this year. And everybody's like looking forward to doing it next year. You so. know, it'll be fun when you go back. People will be so happy to see you. Yes. We missed your money yeah. and your uh, yeah. enthusiasm, yeah. Americans. Yeah. No, you'll yeah. be, no, you'll we, be welcome with open arms. We, we really uh, miss our friends. Uh, we, we've been trying to uh, counsel our friends who, you know, help us on a lot of these things. We have a lot of friends who are winemakers and stuff like that who have suffered a bit through this thing. And, and we're all of us are looking forward to getting back together and having a great time with food and wine. Thank you all for being here. Man, this is fun to get together with friends and talk about things that may and may not matter. Uh, we do, you know, we make a big important, deal. man. Yeah, emojis it's all important or not, you know. <laughs> Those emojis make a difference. Uh, we sure. do this show every Sunday afternoon around 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 21.30 UTC. You can watch us do it live at twit.tv slash live. There's audio and video streams you can choose from your favorite there. Uh, after the fact, all the shows go up on the website at twit.tv. Or on our YouTube channels. We have uh, a number of YouTube channels, but it all starts at youtube.com slash twit. And, uh, of course, you can. the best thing to do would be subscribe in your favorite podcast application. That way you get it automatically uh, the minute it's available. And it make make us feel uh, good, too. So thank you for your support. Now, my friends, I say good night because another this twit is amazing. Bye-bye. Oh,